Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Well, a lot has happened in the few hours that I've been away from you, uh, dear listeners and uh, subscribers and et cetera. A lot has happened fairly quickly. Uh, so essentially, uh, where we are about to see a shakeup in the uh, world of college football, apparently, we've got, uh, unless something miraculous happens in the next few seconds, Clemson is about to fall from the ranks of the unbeaten, which means that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Ohio State. That's the team that I would toss into there, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Uh, But I've been joined by Jim Coburn, and, you know, we will uh, will have much to discuss, obviously. (laughs) So, Jim, as the old saying goes, well, that happened. Yep, that happened. So you can only run between raindrops so long without getting wet. I said this initially, of course, about Tennessee earlier in the season when they were having all these hair's breadth escapes of various sorts. And, of course, you know, you can't make a living that way, or not forever you can't. Uh, additionally, Patrick Mahomes, unfortunately, uh, does not uh, – place kick or play defense either. So he's, I mean, if he does decide to declare, which I, I couldn't blame him, it's probably due to at least partially the frustration. Um, he really does about everything a human being can do uh, to try to get that Texas Tech team to uh, to victories. And then, you know, they, they don't always meet him. I don't know, whatever the percentage, halfway, quarterway, some some amount of the way towards uh, winning football games. So that probably is getting old for him. Um, lots of things have happened. Uh, the star-crossed career of a very good young man at Baylor who's been through some very bad times has taken yet another, you know, uh, seemingly devastating turn. But I would remind people that he was written off at least once before. People said his career was over. We'll see what happens. Uh, certainly it was a very unpleasant-looking injury. Uh, the good news, well, if you're looking for good news, I mean, he obviously, from what I'm hearing, is he's in good spirits. Uh, it, it seems like the kind of thing that will take some time to recover from, but I'm not hearing that it's the kind of thing that necessarily will end his, his athletic career. 
uh, at this point. I mean, obviously, we don't know everything yet, but I, I know some people fairly close to uh, to him who are in communication with him, and he's apparently, like I said, in good spirits, and, you know, they can't do anything yet medically. You know, they have, a lot has to happen in terms of swelling, coming under control, and things like that, but I'm hearing it's not an automatic death sentence. Uh, but, yeah, a lot has happened already today, Jim. It's not over yet. So what things, what does I usually say? What, what do we learned? What do we know? What's changed since the last well, time we spoke? Down goes Clemson. That's that's one. Uh, yes. Yes. Correct. And it could mean down goes the ACC, depending upon what happens in the ACC championship game, and you know who's there, and all kinds of things. Because if both Clemson and Louisville are ranked you know, outside of the top four. And, you know, my assumption is that Ohio State or somebody will slide up unless Ohio State loses. Well, which could, I mean, we'll see. Michigan and Ohio State will, of course, meet. And that will have far-reaching ramifications. Uh, There will still be a, you know, a situation uh, where Clemson will play somebody in the ACC championship game. Uh, we just saw that Virginia Tech decided it won't be them, apparently, or I wouldn't say they decided it, but they made it more complicated for themselves. Obviously, they'd beaten Georgia Tech. Uh, it wouldn't be guaranteed that they would have made it, but it certainly would have been highly likely that they would have been the representative. Would have helped um, them. Uh, yeah. So all kinds of interesting things have taken place today. Um I'm hearing in certain quadrants that Oklahoma may not be completely out of it in terms of the the playoffs. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go that far, but they are looking like they'll be one of those two lost teams that to put itself back into the mix. I guess Auburn is another one of those teams that people t- tended to raise until very recently, but that's also been taken care of. Now, even if they did beat uh, – Alabama. I don't think there's any possible way they could. I mean, I don't. I don't see a three-loss team being able to get into the mix, no matter what they do from this point forward. But a lot happens on a day that people expected to be, you know, sort of just a, you know, <laughs> I don't know if people were quite expecting as much from this week's worth of games, and uh, I think we've gotten everything we could expect, and maybe a little extra. The other thing that's happened is uh, the, I guess, the Dignity Battalion for Mike Williams draft stock have recently raised up their hackles and uh, gone on the offensive. After they'd sort of gone into a defensive posture recently, they have gone on the attack uh, recently, Jim. Don't know if you've already seen evidence of that, but I certainly have. I've I've seen it. Again, my position on Mike Williams is 
He's a good wide receiver. He just, in terms of route running, in terms of deception, in terms of everything, he just isn't there. So on top of him being kind of wishy-washy in terms of the first start of the year in terms of catching the ball away from the train and stuff like that. And sure, he's gotten better as the year's gone on, and this game was definitely a good game in terms of, you know, making contested catches and out-leaping practice squad cornerbacks. Like, that's all great and everything. Uh, But he still isn't a particularly deceptive route runner. He still isn't a very refined route runner. And to me, he's more of a starting possession wide receiver versus a special wide receiver. Right. And what, what? And essentially, I think one of the things that we're going to walk away, you know, knowing, remembering, whatever, uh, I mean, Mike Williams has been compared to a lot of other big-bodied receivers, right, from the Alshon Jeffries of the world to, oh, who else has been invoked? Um Who else? Um, Dwayne Bow, maybe. Dwayne, Dwayne Bow. <laughs> uh, 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 probably fairly accurate. I don't think that'll make you a lot of friends in the uh, Mike Williams community. Dwayne yes, Bow was okay. a good wide receiver. Dwayne Bow, at one point, was Gleason. considered to be, you know, a top five wide receiver at least for yep. one year. So, yep. you know, don't don't hate don't hate the player, hate the game. I guess. Right. You know, Andre sure. Holmes, you know, is another type of guy like that. There we uh, go. Now, to me, that's a really good comparison for him, actually. He, he reminds me a great deal of Andre Holmes, who was flat-out dominant. <laughs> of course, admittedly, he was playing, you know, B2 ball, but, I mean, I saw him in person, and he was killing people. Uh, I saw the Hillsdale-Ashland game. Joe Horn, a friend of my friend Jay Horn, uh, one of my old CDS colleagues from back in the day, Jay and John Horn, if you're out there. You know, hey, guys. But uh, Joe Horn, I mean, sorry, it was his son. Uh, but Joe Horn was at uh, uh, Ashland at the time. And, uh, of course, Andre Holmes was at Hillsdale, the schooling fools. And, yeah, he was an unstoppable killing machine in the GLIAC back of the day. So, yes, that's a really good comparison. I mean, absolutely dominant. Unstoppable. Yep, then he goes to the NFL, and he has some issues hauling in footballs consistently. Honestly, put it like that. Sure. So here's the thing that I've, I've noticed, and I watched James Washington today. Sort of, I got to watch them, you know, sort of, I mean, you know, thank God for multiple televisions. Sometimes almost simultaneously watching the two of them. You know, I could sort of look over here, and there's James Washington, who's obviously, you know, not the same, not as big, but a guy who physically bullies at times uh, corners, even though he's, you know, probably has a shade over six feet tall and about 208 pounds or something. But I've seen him just physically overpower defensive backs fairly consistently at his size. And I see Mike Williams do the same sometimes, obviously. But what I don't see is his ability to 
he doesn't create separation terribly well. Obviously, you know, he's a lot of the bigger bodied receivers, even ones that have had great careers, a lot of times don't create, create a lot of separation. They, they work through, you know, catching in the phone booth, if you want, for lack of a better way to put it, by being able to wall off and extend and, you know, like a basketball rebounder, use their hips and their shoulders to, you know, I mean, look at, I mean, we've seen a Hall of Fame tight end, you know, who was a basketball player, obviously, uh, down in San Diego, basically, having a Hall of Fame career. A guy who was a good athlete, smooth athlete, fluid athlete, but not a guy who ran away from people and had a great career. But despite the fact that he didn't even play college football at all, he was a little more refined as a route runner. It sounds funny saying it than, than Mike Williams. I mean, it's sort of interesting when you think about that, a guy who literally played no college football. None. <laughs> not a down, not a snap. Uh, but I don't, I don't hate him as a prospect. He's a guy who's going to go probably in the first 40 picks. It might go earlier, but, I mean, in my world, I probably wouldn't take him as early as some people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the sort of thing where, like, you know, people pay attention to their dimension, but if they opened their eyes and they looked at all the other, like if, if they actually watched SMU and Baylor, you know, Ishmael Zamora and Cortland Sutton, then they would blow their minds, you know, if you think that Mike <laughs> Williams is the the top you know guy in terms of that type of player, I mean sure I mean he's going to be a successful player. Uh, you know Sidney Rice is probably another type of you know uh, player that that you know at least on the spectrum of players that he could be. It's just again you know there there's these things called route running ability and consistency <laughs> and you know like there's there's all these things where and just as a data guy anyways I mean he hasn't quite hit special all-pro levels of market share production. You know, he's hit oh, starter sure. level production, but not, like, elite production. So there's just lots of things pointing towards him being good oh. versus great. Okay, let me ask you this. Another person that's popped in my head when I've watched him is Tyrell Williams, uh, who, of course, is now, speaking of San oh. Diego, now a charger. But Tyrell Williams, it seems he was slightly more dynamic. Is that just is that just me, or or or, or do you think there might be something to that? Well, I mean, first of all, Tyrell Williams was smaller, you know, coming out of, uh, was it Northern Colorado? No, Tyrell Williams okay. is from, um, uh, almost at Central Arkansas. Um, uh, hold on, not Central Arkansas, I'm close though. Um, uh, same conference. Oh my gosh. Uh, I can see him. In my mind, in college. Let me see. It'll come back to me. But it was in the Southland Conference. It was um, not Central Arkansas, but somebody that played Central Arkansas. Um, gosh. Uh, in fact, it was in the state of Arkansas, wasn't it? It was another Arkansas school. It Western was one of the Oregon. other. Oh, was it? Was, that's right. Sorry, Western Oregon. That's right. And it was yeah. a directional. Okay, not not Arkansas. Our, like I would I would say Tyrell Williams is not a terrible comparison, if only that I don't quite think Mike Williams is two hundred and four pounds. So like, I think Mike Williams is probably a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, he's a little, a little bit bigger than that. And Tyrell Williams yeah. is more than that now. 
Um, sure. Tara now. Williams is probably close to 220 now, but yes, I know what you're saying. Right, right. Which is about probably what, I mean, if Tyrell Williams had probably gone to Clemson, you probably would have been 220 pounds in college. I mean, no offense to the conditioning and food people at at uh, Western Oregon, but, you know, it's a D2 school, and, you know, they don't quite have the same sort of facilities and ability to feed people. But yes, I mean, like I said, he's a he's a player. I I think we both agree. I think he will be on on an NFL roster. I think he'll have a fairly successful NFL career. I just don't think he's going to be a great NFL player. Like I said, Tyrell Williams. Hey, you know that's, that's Andre Holmes. I think somewhere in that area. Uh, to me, that's nothing to be upset about. That's that's a, you know that's that's winning. Most guys don't don't get to even do that. But. Um, when I contrasted that with James Washington, who can do things after the catch that Mike Williams could never dream of doing, you know, like running away from an entire team, which I saw James Washington do, I saw him just flat out pull away from everybody, destroy angles, all that stuff. I mean, he may not test out as a four, four low 4-4 four, four guy, but I'll be shocked if he isn't at least 4-4-8. Four, four, well, no, he's fast, he's explosive, he knows how to run routes, he knows how to vary his, you know, releases. I mean, I don't understand why more people don't like James Washington, but apparently they don't. But, yeah, I, you know, he kind of, he does a little bit of everything, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, um, <laughs> I don't know why people haven't warmed up to him more either. It's a it's a puzzlement, <laughs> I guess is the term I've used. It is a mystery, but he certainly has um, good speed. He has, like I said, he's strong. I mean, that's the thing that you know the thing that isn't immediately obvious is how his strength, his power. You know, he's. You can see him run away from people and figure out, you know, how fast he is pretty quickly. But I've been impressed. I mean, we talked about one thing, the contested catches. He's, people talk about strong at the catch point. He's extremely strong at the catch point. He's extremely – I mean, I, he has some James Jones to him, but James Jones with a jetpack, you know. A lot of the things that made James Jones a good NFL wide receiver he has, but he's obviously faster, more explosive. Dynamic. Uh, there's a lot to like there. <laughs> there's a lot to like there. And yeah, I'm not sure why more people haven't embraced him, but I think, you know, they will. <laughs> I guess. I guess the only thing we need to put that is that I believe they will. I believe that the day is coming when they will see what he is. They won't be able to ignore it. It will be manifest and obvious. <laughs> Uh, what he is as a player. But, yeah, there's a lot – to me, there's a lot to like there. And, you know, as you've said many times, the Big 12 is just, you know, stupid loaded with receivers. But uh, other things we picked up, learned, uh, discovered. Well, Ohio State is clearly in the style points business, James, in case you're wondering. Uh, And business is is booming. (laughs) They're in the style points business and business is booming. 
So their latest victim was a uh, ill-prepared and undermanned, under-whatever Maryland team that, well, I hate to bring up the fact they have no freaking business in the Big Ten again, so I won't, but they have no business playing Ohio State. Uh, That much is clear, at least not in their current, uh, current version. I don't know if you caught any of that, but it was, you know, they were shoved into a worse oh, kind of I mean, no. Maryland, no. the big thing with Maryland right now is most of their really good players are injured, you know. Will Likely is out. Yeah. And yeah. Michael Dunn has yeah. been struggling with injuries the past couple of weeks. So when your best players are hurt and you're playing Michigan and then you play Ohio State, yeah, it's yep. not going to not going to be good. You're not going to see very good results when you do that. Right. And as I mentioned, Ohio State is now in the style points business, so it was well-timed for them because they were what they were hoping for, which would be one of the teams that was ranked above them stumbling, which we just saw happen, while simultaneously you are, you know, jolly stomping, uh, you know, the the, the once sturdy turtles. Now, I mean, they're certainly making a case. I don't know how else to put it. They're making a case for inclusion in, in the top four. And obviously, if they can beat Michigan, uh, there's no way a one-loss Ohio State isn't in the, in the final four. Michigan itself may still survive, depending on how they look, if they, even if they lose. Alabama, you know, Alabama, uh, no need to elaborate. And now the question is, who is that other team? Washington, obviously, should they win out? But we brought up earlier the sort of nightmare scenario that they lose in the Apple Cup. Now what, right? So you have a one-loss Washington team, a Washington team that, for whatever reason, the committee took a while to warm up to. You have a one-loss Clemson, uh, you know, assuming that they don't lose anymore, you'd have, you know, if Ohio State beats Michigan, a one-loss Michigan. Uh, Alabama, it almost doesn't matter if they have one loss, obviously being Alabama, but let's assume they're still undefeated. And, you know, now what, essentially? So if Washington has one loss, and if, you know, Ohio State beats Michigan. Now what? Now what do we do, Jim? <laughs> now how do we how do we navigate through this? Well, you put Ohio State and Michigan in the final four, and you put Washington in unless they lose, and then you decide on that other spot. Okay. So yeah. So you'd have Alabama, Washington, and then two Big Ten teams. Which yep. would make the Louisville people very unhappy. Oh, <laughs> the poor Louisville people. They're so unhappy. Oh. Listen, the Big Ten's the best conference, at least to me. Like, that's how I view right. it. So, right. Michigan, Ohio State, as someone who's seen that those teams play this entire year, have looked like, you know, they've. Michigan has looked like a, a top four team in college football. Michigan has looked like a top four team in college football. Uh, Alabama has looked that way, and Washington's looked that way. So, 
you know, I just kind of look at that. Louisville, yeah, you know, like <laughs> I just not really Clemson, not really either. Uh, so I'm just not exactly high on the ACC this year, I guess. Right. Right. Gotcha. Mainly on defense. I mean, because Louisville's offense, yeah, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, craziness and everything else like that ensuing. But on defense, nothing about their defense scares me. You know, there's things on Michigan and Ohio State that scare me, defensively speaking. So, um, in terms of players, uh, that that's that's kind of just how I look at it. But yeah. Yeah, I um, I'll be interested to see exactly what does happen. But that that's I'm pretty much with you. I think that it would once again, you know, barring some bizarre, unforeseen something, if Ohio State loses to Michigan, now things get interesting because I mean Michigan's in. That part isn't interesting. Uh, Ohio State's essentially out. Then Washington's in, once again, barring a loss. You know, Alabama's in, unless they somehow lose two games, which, while not impossible, is highly unlikely. Um, That's what it would take to get Louisville or Clemson back in it, is Ohio State being a two-loss team. I agree that if Ohio State's a one-loss team, that's it (laughs) for, you know, so it's been SEC... Big Ten twice, and, you know, the somewhat disrespected Pac-12 team. But some people say, you know, they haven't had the world's toughest schedule. No, not a terrible schedule, but, yeah, so, I mean, you know, not there's not a bunch of, quote-unquote, quality wins outside of conference there. Uh, something that Chris Peterson will likely change during his tenure there, he was clearly known in his days at Boise State for playing basically anybody who would play him. Um, You know, if you would play him, he'd play you. That was pretty much how it worked. And the only times, you know, he wasn't trying to play, you know, high-quality opponents wherever is if they just, like I said, politely demurred, which many of them did. But that'll be the interesting thing, you know, to see who can hold serve from this point forward. The only team I feel essentially is, you know, 100%, you know, no doubt, no matter what, there is Alabama, no matter what. I can't see any scenario where Alabama isn't there when it's all said and done. I just don't see how that would be possible for them not to get there. And let's see. I guess second would be Washington. I I don't think they're going to lose, but, you know, the big – Challenge obviously is about to come up. I mean, two big challenges. One being the Apple Cup, obviously. Washington State's always tough out, and then USC is supremely talented, but hasn't always shown up and hasn't always played like a team that's supremely talented. But they're certainly capable of being a, a trouble. You know, being being a difficult team to deal with. Now, 
obviously we're sort of far into the process in terms of evaluation. Uh, we're, we're basically finalizing, cross-checking, you know, a few players are maybe elevating themselves based on having made, you know, a strong bid in terms of improvement. And I guess there might be a few players who maybe are, you know, going in the wrong direction, um, you know, maybe because they something they didn't do very well has been exposed more than it was previously. But I'm going to guess that for the most part, you're probably, I mean, that's, I'll speak for myself, I'm pretty close to being kind of sure about most of the prospects that I've watched. I mean, I'm going to continue to watch, but I don't see dramatic movements coming based on uh, the players that I've seen so far. I'm going to ask you sort of, do you, where are you in this process in terms of things like player ranking, player evaluation? Well, at least so far, I'm just kind of, you know, guys that I designated as, you know, starter level players, if you will. I'm just in the process of going back and looking at more tape on those players and getting into the FCS players. So that's kind of what I've been doing, at least right now in terms of the process. But for the most part, you know, I just kind of went through a bunch of players, the guys that kind of stuck out in terms of uh, the games that I saw, you know, if I felt like they had the athletic qualities that I like or they had a very good game or, you know, they showed certain traits that were good. I kind of just put them there, and then it's just a matter of going back and watching some more tapes to kind of solidify my feelings about certain guys. Okay. Now, people always talk about, you know, risers and, and you know, players who are rocketing up the draft boards or guys that are sliding, you know, quote-unquote hurt their stock through you know, whatever it is they've, they've done. And I think, you know, a lot of that, as you said before, is sort of, you know, quote-unquote narratives. But what are some of the things that you still might see that might cause you to... What things could still happen, I guess is how I should put it, that might cause you to make a change on somebody? Well, if I come upon tape that, you know, my approach, my approach to scouting is, is pretty simple. You know, when the facts change, I, I change my mind. You know, if I watch tape of a player at the beginning of the year and I had this view of him, then I watch tape at the end of the year and he's a hundred times better than he was at the beginning of the year, I change my mind, you know, and if there's evidence to back that up, <laughs> that he's improved because, you know, again, the reason why you want to watch I, I, with me anyways, I mean, I like to watch at least one game at the beginning of the year, another game or two games in the middle, and then another game at the end, which is usually a bowl game or, you know, something like that uh, at the end of the year, because it gives you a full spectrum. Like one, one guy I usually give an example of is, uh, you know, to, to Marcus uh, from uh, Boise, State, the pass rusher from Boise, um, got his his last name, but um, he basically was a pass rusher at Boise State. And the beginning of the year uh, that he was getting drafted, he didn't look good at all. Like he, 
looked kind of out of place, out of sorts, uh, was looked lost in terms of his approach on defense. And then at the end of the year, he was a world beater in terms of, you know, just from the technical standpoint, he was 100 times better with his hands. Uh, he was pursuing guys. He was picking up on things faster because some guys just have to get in the groove of things. You know, you're not always going to start the season off being dialed in 100%. So I just kind of take that approach to things. And, you know, again, it, like I said, if the facts change, I change my mind. You know, if if a player that I thought was good, go, I go back to the tape and I see something that, oh, wow, he, I didn't notice this, then I, you know, I, I'll take that into account going forward, uh, you know, if they do better or if they play poorly, you know, because, you know, for the most part, I mean, you're you're never going to see every game is a different thing, you know, like it's a different organism, it's a different animal. So, you know, you're going to have guys who consistently put up great tape week in and week out, and you're going to have guys who are inconsistent. And I think there's stuff to that. Like, it, it just makes up what a prospect is, you know, if a, if a prospect has inconsistent tape during the year that's probably what his career is going to be like, where he's going to have some games where he's really great and other games where he's not very great. And then you're going to have other guys who just dominate week in and week out, you know, that just have, like, they are who they are in terms of, like, being a dominant player. And that's the other thing, too, is I think there's too much of a, you know, not – I think we've gotten to a point where, like, it's hard for people to decipher what good and great is. Yeah. Because – Sure, a player is great good, inflation. You know. We live in an yeah. era of great inflation, Jim. Yeah, and you know, a player may be good. Like again, Mike Williams, I think, is a good prospect. Do I think he's a prospect you should take in the top ten? And uh, you know, not not necessarily. You know, I think there's a lot, a lot. You know, again, if you just watch all the draft eligible wide receivers. I think you would be surprised in guys like Horton Sutton and, and Ishmael Zamora in terms of guys who can give you a little bit more after the catch and give you a little bit more consistently uh, in terms of who are pretty much the same size as him and have the same arm length as him. So, you know, it kind of opens your perspective. The same thing goes with, with guys like, uh, you know, Austin Carr and, you know, even Curtis Samuel, you know, is another guy where, uh, which that's the funny thing too is people keep saying who is Curtis Samuel. I just think he's a slot receiver, man, uh, and probably one of the better ones in the class, honestly, in terms of route running um, as a slot receiver. So, but yeah, I mean, I that's just kind of my approach. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll watch a guy three times, four times, usually over the course of the year. If things change, they change. From a data perspective, I usually just use data to determine the overall upside of of a player. So, like, if J.J. Watt was in a class and he hit every single metric, I would pretty much be like, yeah, that's got to be my top player because he's a 14 out of 14 (laughs) in terms of data and also tape is really great, uh, et cetera. So, you know, it kind of just helps to kind of – when you have a lot of players that are good or have good tape, you know, you go back and watch more tape. But I also think that data kind of helps to – to at least give you a, a range of possibilities 
in your mind and then make a determination on how you want to rank players from that point when it comes to players. Yeah, here's here's the thing that I, I walk away from from a week like this and, and from even the weeks, you know, immediately prior to this. As you just noted, there seems to be, you know, a fence that's built around certain prospects. And people won't seem to open the fence <laughs> and walk walk around and see what else there is to see. So, yes, I, I also have noticed sometimes a, a tendency and a, a problem there. And, you know, we'll see, you know, what happens from that point forward. And then the other thing that I, I see, like I said, we talked about sort of the great inflation thing, the, the tendency to say, hey, this guy can do this and this, and now he's the best draft-eligible receiver in college football. And as you pointed out, he may not be the best draft-eligible receiver in, you know, the certain, in a certain part of the country, come to think of it. But, but let's just, you know, stipulate certain things. Now, we can assign different values to what makes someone a, a great player and a good player. And I believe that productivity should be part of it. Some people say, you know, productivity means nothing, you know. Uh, well, you know, history doesn't support that. And obviously, physical measurables do matter. Uh, some people like to say that that doesn't really matter, you know, the old just watch the tape. But I very strongly believe that you do have to watch the tape. You do have to know how a player is doing what he's doing. Hey, Timmy Chang and Kellen Moore both were extraordinary. And Timmy Chang, who, you know, had certain limitations, obviously, was a guy that even as a fan of his, and I was a fan of watching him, knew he was, you know, at the very, his best, on the best day of his life, he's a QB3 at the next level. And, Probably not even that. And I thought Kellen Moore could be a little bit more, and I said that. Now, I thought he was more like a QB2 at the next level. But eventually, like the person I compared him to, Gary Kubiak, I thought eventually one day he'd become an offensive coordinator, then perhaps eventually a head coach in the NFL or college. And I still believe that will happen at some point in Kellen Moore's life. I mean, Ty Detmer's sort of a somewhat similar storyline, and he's now having success as a coach which doesn't surprise me when Iota either. Super smart guy who, you know, hung around the league for a while based on being a super smart guy. He could learn any playbook in, you know, two and a half days, basically. <laughs> you know, so guys like that have value in the NFL. I mean, uh, Bernie Kozar hung around for a while after he was no longer a starter. He was one of those guys who could learn a playbook in, in a weekend. And a few other guys, you know, if you're one of those guys who can learn a playbook in a weekend and you have a certain level of ability, you can hang around the league for a while. Jordan Palmer uh, parlayed it into six, seven or so years in the league. But here's here's the point I'm making. We have people sort of discovering certain things about certain players and then essentially stopping, like getting fixed on that. They've I've seen enough, you know. And as you pointed out, you know, uh, you're willing to, hey, there are guys I really, really liked and I cooled off on. And there's guys that I was cool on that I've warmed up to. 
uh, I've warmed up to Mahomes. I mean, I like certain things I saw from him even last year, but, you know, was pretty inconsistent. There's no two ways around that. He's become slightly more consistent. I still wish he would stop throwing off his back foot so darn much, uh, which I understand to some extent his offensive line is, you know, tragic at times. But, but still, you'd like to see him try to hang in there a little more. I do, you know, there's times when he flushes a little more quickly than he has to. But he has all those, you know, Farbian components, mobility, arm strength, ability to, uh, you know, make things happen that aren't really there. And like Farb, he can occasionally try to do too much. Um, I have cooled some on Deshaun Watson, not so much because, He's gotten worse. I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't say he's regressed. I mean, I hear some people say things, but I don't think that's true. I just think all the things that you saw him do last year, and then in your mind, you sort of hoped he'd get better across the board at some of those things. He didn't get better at some of them. No, no, he didn't. Some of the things he got better at. My, I'm only down on Deshaun Watson because I just think there's better quarterbacks in college football. Right. You know, in terms of Mahomes, you know, like you just mentioned. Uh, you know, Trubisky's been able to do certain throws more consistently. Uh, you know, that's the only real reason. And also because Watson just continually has been a guy, even from last year, where the accuracy was hit or miss, you know, a lot. And uh, I know there have been people who, you know, Pete Smith is one of those guys that's like, well, you just need to fix this and this with his mechanics and, you know, Go for, stop being in a catch and release type of system, and things will be better uh, more consistently. And I kind of see that, but I also think he might be one of those guys who just struggles with his mechanics his entire career, um, if you will. And then it's just a question of can that work in the NFL? It has worked in the NFL. There have been players who have, who've had issues with mechanics that have had to, you know, that have been up and down careers. But is that a guy you want to take in the top five? You know is a top or top overall player because he's a quarterback because that's what we do now. I, I just kind of, I just question that to, to a certain extent. Especially when you have the type of defensive line class we have, you know, with, with, uh, you know, Miles Garrett and, you know, other people like that, you know. Uh, the world has discovered, if not all of the Washington players, they at least seem to have discovered John Ross. And there are now some people out there who have him as, as their WR1. And, of course, mm-hmm. it depends on what you like in a wide receiver. He certainly does certain things well. Uh, he is fast and quick. So if you like quick and fast, you've got both those things. Pretty good after the catch. Um, I would say above average in terms of things like route running, and, and he has pretty good hands. Maybe not elite in those two areas, but certainly good. Uh, for you, what are the things that you think Ross does well, and then where do you think he might still need growth in, in order to be a really good pro? I think uh, I think the main things that Ross does really well is he's really good at uh, glide manipulation, sprint manipulation in terms of his routes. You know, he's deceptive. He's fast, obviously. 
Uh, he knows how to get proper depth uh, when it comes to his routes as well. Uh, and I, the only, I mean, it's funny I say burst because he does have burst. He is a fast player. I, I think he's just one of those guys who, who's who's fast but not incredibly explosive as a, as a player. Um, and that's it's not a bad thing because he he has such good hip uh, and ankle flexibility that he's usually so quick with his transition it's not as big of a deal because that that's because that's winning as much as anything else. But it's just something where he's not the most explosive out of his cut as you would want him to, other than the fact that he transitions extremely well. And then you add on top of that speed, which kicks in after that third step, you know, that second, third step, that speed kicks in, and then it's he's gone, basically. So actually he does that really well. And again, he's a really deceptive uh, route runner. Uh, in terms of a few things. He doesn't do everything exceptionally well. I mean, he does – I wouldn't say his route tree is limited. Um, I would just say that I've seen certain players like, you know, Curtis Samuel and, uh, you know, uh, Austin Carr and uh, Lake Turner. I've seen them do a higher assortment of uh, of routes than Ross in terms of them being able to do those things consistently and effectively – week in and week out, but, you know, Ross is good. I mean, he he has the speed you want. He has the flexibility you want. I think in the spectrum of wide receivers, he would be kind of like, I mean, I don't want to say a Mark Cooper, but probably somewhere in that area, kind of, in terms of his, as as sort of a speed uh, flexible kind of player, uh, you know, like uh, Brandon Cooks-ish in a way or Deion Branch-ish, you know, that, that type of player. Because I think, I think the big things for me athletically is speed and, uh, and flexibility. And that, those are the two things that he does really well when it comes to his routes. The weaknesses are just contested catches. So those are the the only big – it's not a huge weakness for John Ross, but he is a guy that if he ends up in a contested situation, he doesn't always uh, come down with those footballs consistently. But he does have good concentration. Uh, it's just that when he has to physically mix it up with a guy who's bigger than him, he doesn't always win those battles, as, I, as I'm seeing on tape. But. You know, it'll be interesting to see sort of how that all plays out, I guess. Um, there's certainly some things, like I said, to, to like. You know, there's things to to appreciate about – I mean, people, like I said, some people are very high on this white issue class, and I'm pretty high on it. And then, like I said, we've heard some people be a little less impressed Face once again on, and I think that's part of it. Part of the the thing, same reason that some people are maybe overly high on a guy like Mike Williams is the reason they're less high on the class as a whole, is because Mike Williams looks like what they think an NFL wide receiver looks like. I think is what a lot of that has to may come down to is that they think an NFL wide receiver has to be big, you know, has to be six foot three, six foot four, six foot five, 
you know, at least to fix. Yeah, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, Des Bryant, uh, you know, right, uh, right, yes, those okay. types of right. guys for the most part. Right, Alshon Jeffrey. But here's what's interesting, interesting to me. Remember all the love Allen Robinson started to get in the draft process? Yeah. How how different was Allen Robinson really from a guy like James Washington? Well, I would hmm. – I mean, Allen Robinson is taller and yeah, About like an inch and three-quarters, inch and two, something like yeah. that, you know, inch and a half probably, yeah. I mean, Allen Robinson had a lot of things in common with, like, Justin McCarron, you know, uh, in terms of <laughs> his – or Roy Williams is probably another sort of guy that's kind of like that. But Williams, of course, is more um, – you know, the wide receiver, Roy Williams, not the other, you know, the Cowboys. Not the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. Well, they both were Cowboys. In yeah, fact, I, at the I same know. time. <laughs> at one yeah, point. At one point, yeah. But – uh I mean, Robinson, I mean, kind of, I mean, my, again, my, my big deal about Robinson, and I've kind of, I kind of gotten over it, but it just depends on the system that you're in. And, and, and it's only in the sense of like, Robinson was a guy who, you know, took routes off um, a lot when he was at Penn State. And it, and it was to the extent where there were times where he was taking routes off and it was to a detriment. You know, basically, there were times where I just felt like he wasn't uh, running, you know, basically trying to set guys up, you know, kind of open up uh, areas in the uh, in the flats and stuff like that because he wasn't running his routes as fast as he needed to, you know, basically in terms of, you know, sprint manipulation and stuff like that to kind of open up that area in the flat and that sort of area. He didn't always consistently do that. He always had ridiculous change of direction, you know, in terms of, you know, what he did in terms of those types of things. Um, but, and he was explosive too. I don't know. I mean, with me, James Washington, to me, is 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 explosive, fast, but he does have some. I, I, I it'd be very interesting to see how how he actually test and does that whole stuff. Because I think he might have things more in common with like Roddy White or Hakeem Nix than he would Robinson. But that's just kind of my general thoughts on him and stuff like that. But I but the main thing is that in terms of his vertical and broad jump, that's where he's going to shine, you know, in terms of that kind of stuff, you know, because I, I don't think he's exactly going to run like a 4-3 or, four, or high 4-4, four, four, but I do think he's going to put up a really good vertical and broad jump. And he and in terms of his slant, I don't know very many cornerbacks that can stop his slant, though, to be honest. In terms of having enough quickness to get in there and break up slants of John, of, of Washington, I have I haven't seen the, t- too much of that. You know, it's it's almost an impossible feat to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I guess the guy that I, I see a lot also when I think about Washington is a guy like, I mean, he's not quite maybe as athletic as Garcon. I guess Garcon was, I don't remember exactly his testing numbers, but I think his testing numbers were pretty darn close to elite, if memory serves me correctly. He might not test quite at that level. He's probably about 10% less 
explosive, I'm guessing, than than a guy like Garcon was. Yeah, well, Garcon was, you know, was top 10 percentile on each area. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, he's probably not so, quite that. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but yeah. Okay. Your boy Stacy Coley had a pretty good game today. Uh, probably, you know, one of those guys that, and once again, he may not necessarily even declare, but one of those guys that I think might find himself into that mid-round mix. Uh, there's some fun, I mean, once again, I think it's a really fun class, the uh, the wide receiver class. the uh, Obviously, people talk about the running back class. I'm Warming up to the corner class, I think it might be a little better than I originally realized. And for the first time in quite some time, I'm fairly happy with the safety class. It doesn't have a superstar in it. I mean, it doesn't have a guy that, you know, I feel like is headed to the Hall of Fame or, you know, five or six Pro Bowls or or that kind of thing necessarily. But I think it's got several NFL starters. Uh, and a bunch of guys who will be, you know, rotational, you know, third, fourth safety, special team contributor types. I feel better, I'll put it that way, than I have of the last couple of years about the safety classes, which last, you know, the last years for me was just downright uh, depressing. <clears throat> I think this one's a little better than that. Do you have any safeties that since, say, the middle of the season have moved for you, whether it be upwards or downwards? Hmm. Well, not necessarily. Uh, I was always relatively high on Malik Hooker. He's kind of consistently got better. So I'm kind of the same, kind of feel the same way about him but better because I've seen more of him. Uh, Nat Jerry is still Nat Jerry. He's he's kind of a fun player to watch uh, in terms yeah. of a guy who might be an edge safety kind of guy maybe, you know, <laughs> in terms of his overall position. But uh, he's Adams, got some ball yeah. skills. Oh, he has ball skills. I mean, you go, you, you go to any game last year, any game this year. You know, Wyoming game was probably my favorite because he intercepted the ball and then handed it to the – to the wide receiver, which is kind of fun. Um, but, I mean, you know, he has ball – he has that kind of stuff. Uh, he – his ball skills are kind of – I'm not saying he's Troy Palomalo at all, but his ball skills are similar to that in that he doesn't look like a guy that has good ball tracking ability and, <laughs> and good ability to you – know, you know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't look I know like he's going to make – these pass deflections and these other things, but he does. You know, he he, <laughs> he locates the football and he and he gets. Is that because he's sneaky athletic? <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's he's a, he's as a 
like you look at him, he looks like a linebacker. You know, he's he's stocky. You know, he doesn't look like he's a guy that would. He reminds me. He, you know, it kind of reminds you. There was this linebacker at uh, I think it was SMU or something like that. But he was like this kind of chubby, chunky kind of guy. You know, was short, chunky, whatever. But he covered guys in past in pass pro, you know, really well in terms of pass coverage. Uh, he had good feet, you know. He didn't look like he had good feet, but he did. Um, that's kind of that's kind of what Jerry is. You know, he looks kind of like a stiff, uh, you know, like a big stiff safety linebacker type guy, but he isn't that. Yeah. You know, he, he's right. Exactly. He looks quick, like that, but he isn't that. Yeah. You know, because he's a fairly thick, thickly built guy that happens to, you know, again have really have decent ball skills, have decent ability to track the football in the air. And uh, and go from there. With the only big knock on him is just, you know, he doesn't have like four. Again, he's not the same athlete as Paul Molly. You know, no, coming he's, out. He's somewhere between four six three and four five eight. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Jerry was one of the guys I designated as a guy that could potentially play the edge safety position. You know, like he's one of those guys. But but he is. He does. But he does have the ability to affect the pass game in terms of stuff like that. Um, which is kind of why I do like him. Uh, the guy that's been kind of a riser this year, and Ob Mayfon, we is a guy that he's not completely locked in every time I've seen him, but he does have a big frame. He has long arms. Um, he has is a decent enough tackler. He's one of those safeties that does everything that you ask him to do, but doesn't, but but doesn't do more than that, I would say, is how I would describe it. Uh, you know, he isn't exactly playing outside the box at times. And I don't know if that's because of coaching or just because he's, he's kind of a raw player in terms of certain things. But, I mean, I, he's a guy that might rise a lot because of uh, physical ability and those types of things. And, again, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, he's a People talk about Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams. I see Obi Mayfun, and I'm like, hey, I could get a Jamal Adams type, you know, day two, day three, you know, sort of area because he's similar in a lot of ways due to the size and the length and those types of things. If you like that type of corner, anyways. Um, Alex Dale at Middle Tennessee State is another safety that I. I actually Man, like Middle Tennessee State is a machine when it comes to secondary players. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dale, Dale was just a guy that I saw on tape, and he, and he did everything. You know, he was coming down in the box to, to, you know, to stop the run. He was, you know, going out into the slot and covering guys in man fairly well, surprisingly well, actually. And he's also a guy who played single high, you know, and did that well. So he was a guy who pretty much was doing pretty much everything you want a safety to do and doing it well. He kind of used them all over the place. Uh, you, know, you know, did more things than Jalen Ramsey, to say the least. But, you know, like that's that's kind of what he has done. Marcus May at Florida is another guy who, in terms of, um, you know, every in terms of tackling, in terms of ability to make plays, uh, has had a big year. I think he got injured today, too, but. He did. He got hurt today. But he, but he's, but he's another safety that I think is has been. I, I feel a lot better than the other Florida safety that went in like 2013. So, 
I, I feel a little bit better that, than than him in terms of just his ability to affect the passing game, you know, or even Keanu Neal. Like, I had no issues with Keanu Neal in terms of tackling ability and being, you know, inside the box as a box safety, but yes, I did. By definition, a box safety. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't exactly see much affecting the passing game, you know, in terms of playing man coverage or getting pass deflections or getting interceptions or like, I didn't see a ton of that, you know, which is, again, if you're a safety and I'm going to take you high, you need to be able to do more than just being a box safety. But, but of course I'm wrong now because PFF graded I'm really high now because of that, but uh, we'll see. Um, and now people are calling him Sam Sam's <laughs> Yeah. I can see. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Okay. Great inflation, dude. Great inflation. Yeah. Um, Demarius Travis at Minnesota is another safety that doesn't get a lot of play, but I felt like he he's played well as kind of a free safety type, you know, getting it, you know, coming down in the box, playing the slot, and that sort of area. He's he's done well in terms of those types of things. Orion Stewart has made some plays this year, too. He's another kind of thickly built kind of guy at Baylor, and Jamal Adams. I mean, Jamal Adams is Jamal Adams. Um, I think he can do he's, – he's still an almost player to me. You know, he he almost has – he either has interception in one game or he, he almost has the interception in, in a game. Um, I think his tackling ability has been 50-50 this year. Um. He does look the part of an NFL safety, to say the least, but he hasn't exactly been outstanding. Um, but, he, you know, he's kind of like there. And, of course, Josh Jones at NC State, I think, has also had kind of a decent, successful year in terms of, uh, you know, being a kind of a free safety, playing in coverage and doing that well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I feel better about the safety class, too, uh, in terms of, you know, starters, and, and, and I haven't even mentioned, you know, the guys like, you know, like Kai Nakua or, you know, Buda, you know, Buda Baker, Xavier Woods, you know, any of those guys, you know, so, or Jonathan Ford, you know, but I consider Ford to be a linebacker, but, you know, like those types of guys are also kind of there in terms of safety. Yes, edge safety. He's, he's at the top of your edge safety rankings, right? Close. I mean, my top my top edge safety is Jabril Peppers, and then right under him is, is Jonathan Ford. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like that. It's like John, it's like Peppers, Ford, Jerry, Nat Jerry, and you know, kind of the word uh, Jerry and Malines is also kind of there too. From SMU, and Orion Stewart is kind of there too, sort of. But you know, I haven't I haven't visited the edge safety rankings very recently, so I might go back and, and see how that kind of stacks up. Yes. <sighs> yes. Okay. Now. One of the things that 
has happened, is happening, uh, however you want to put it. I believe that there's going to be, as it seems to be all every year, a what's the word I'm looking for? It embiggening, a uh, a enlarging, a there'll be some challenger to whoever the you know now is the happens every year to whoever the sort of assumed number one quarterback. And at one point that challenger, I think, was Sean Kaiser being sort of proffered as the alternative to Deshaun Watson. And then two things happened. One, Kaiser didn't always play that well. And then slowly but surely, for whatever reason, it seems like there's these whispers that he's interested in you know, staying in school, which I would strongly encourage, uh, or playing somewhere, you know, if he doesn't stay at Notre Dame. But if indeed that happens, I wonder who will then be the next sort of uh, alternative quarterback that you think we'll see, we'll see sort of pushed up to challenge Sean Watson. Who do you think that other quarterback might be? Mitch Leidner. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, uh, there isn't a ton of guys to do that in this class. I mean, it would really depend on who declares. If Luke Falk declares, he might be a guy who could challenge Watson. If Mahomes declares, which I doubt he will, but if he did, he would challenge Watson. Uh, you know, uh, Mason Rudolph might challenge Watson. And that actually would be a pretty good debate, too, Mason Rudolph versus Watson, you know, because they do yes. similar things. That's a good but, but, you know, kind of those types of people. But there isn't a ton, like, there isn't very many senior quarterbacks that would challenge Watson that I've seen, you know, because I, I don't think people would entertain. Like I said, Mitch Leidner versus Watson. People, people wouldn't entertain that debate very much, you know. Or Skylar Howard versus Watson. People wouldn't really enter, entertain that either. Nick Mullins versus Watson. We already had the Chad Kelly versus Watson debate, which <laughs> yes, well, yeah, pretty much over three years point. ago, yeah. right? Three years, I guess, was when that was yeah. somewhat resolved. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, maybe Brad Kaya, but then again, Kaya hasn't. He's not had much of a, of a year. Yeah, he's. hasn't really been. He's really done much. In terms well, of, I mean, the one thing that sort of you know, Watson, I understand Deshaun Watson is you know gone, but I'm hoping to some extent that the. I'm not rooting for people to struggle, but I'm hoping that the things being shown, where some of these quarterback prospects are not. A, exactly quite ready, which will hopefully encourage them to stay in school. I'm hoping this will start to encourage everyone as a whole to consider that, hey, there's no reason to rush underclassmen into the draft, maybe. I, I doubt that because, you know, people were wanting to put Carl Jones in the draft after three games, you know. So. You're going to have sensationalism like that, you know. Oh, God, that's right. Draft Thanks for bringing that up. I mean, what oh else does he have to prove? You know, he played. 
Alabama, you play, you know, the Wisconsin, and you play this other team. What is it else does he have to prove? What else does he have to show you? He's already <laughs> showed it. Oh. Huh. Yeah, thanks for reminding me about that. That was the silliest of the many silly things that I, I've silly seen season. around that. Yeah, it was the silly season. Good point. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, yes. that's going to happen, but this isn't really, I mean, I don't know, this really isn't that guy. I mean, it would just have been, it depends on what happens with the Senior Bowl, of course. Um, but the Senior Bowl was really the one thing I didn't like about the Senior Bowl, at least last year's, you know, this year's Senior Bowl, you know, the Senior Bowl that we just had um, this year, uh, was it was sort of a crowning went extravaganza, and it didn't morph into anything. Like there wasn't like a oh well, Dak Prescott's playing better than Wentz. No, no, yeah, we know, but Carson Wentz getting better this week. He's improving, you know. Like that, that was sort of like people kind of were taking the Senior Bowl as to make it what they wanted it to be versus what was actually happening there. I guess for so, um, but I don't know. It really just matters what happens in the Senior Bowl. If one of these quarterbacks takes out the Senior Bowl, they might challenge Watson. But I just don't see the ton of guys. I mean, it really, underclassmen is kind of, you know, again, Rudolph would probably be a guy who could challenge Watson. But for the most part, I don't really see that happening. And Kaiser could too, which is, he might go Kaiser, really. But, like, I mean, there is a sense of, like, it's not a big of a stretch to look at Kaiser's tape this year and pick out things that he has done better than Watson in terms of certain things, you know. He hasn't done everything better than Watson. Um, Watson is a better, you know, in terms of development and stuff like that um, and decision-making. But there is stuff that you could, you know, there's stuff there where you could have the Kaiser-Watson debate again if, if Kaiser were to declare anyways. Right. And obviously, as the world sort of discovers Washington, uh, thanks to a, you know, sort of major showcase primetime game, I think. Obviously, I've I've praised Chris Peterson lavishly on several occasions and could do so again if necessary. Uh, Lots of people have had chances to win at Washington since Don James was there, and few of them have managed to do so consistently. It's clear that they now have someone who will return them to being a consistent winner. Uh, He is very good at bringing in a plan, executing that plan, and, you know, winning darn close to 90% of the games that, that that are played. He's done it under more challenging circumstances, frankly, than he's stepping into now. What things do you notice that are different about this Washington team than Washington teams of the recent past? Well, they have a quarterback. 
um, that can throw the ball accurately and consistently. Uh, they have defensively, it's kind of the same, only in the sense of like you know they have uh, you know they they have some like the defense is similar, like it's similar in terms of they have kind of undersized guys that have above average athleticism. Wu Ching is kind of the type of pass rusher that you kind of expect at Washington every year to a certain extent. You know, that kind of a high achiever kind of guy. Elijah, uh, Elijah, um, is it, you know, Elijah that's there. He's, he's similar in terms of those types of things. Vita Via is kind of a similar type of player that you would expect at Washington. And quarterback wise, I mean, you know, they had Marcus Peters there, you know, a couple of years ago. So it isn't much of a stretch to go like, oh, Sidney Jones, they've never had that before. Well, like, they, you know, they, they have Marcus Peters. So like, they have a lot of the same components on defense. I just think it's the offense that's different in terms of uh, right. the quarterback that's there, the wide receivers that are there. You know, Washington has had wide receivers. Uh, I forgot the the one guy that was there that people were hyping up and he kind of didn't turn in anything. Um, but, you know, they've had – position players that people are super, super excited about that didn't really become anything. Dwayne Washington's another one of those guys that people, even now, they want Dwayne Washington to magically happen uh, in the NFL, and it's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just say, like, that's just like, make him happen, please, you know, but it's not happening. Uh, But they actually have, you know, Gaskin is, you know, a legit, you know, running back. Um, And they've had Bishop Sankey, too, at running back. So, but I would just say skill position and, and quarterback have probably been the biggest differences between this Washington team versus ones in the past because they've always been pretty – again, they've always been pretty strong defensively. Uh, you know, Danny Sheldon and, you know, all those guys, Shaq Thompson, um, for the most part, Peters. But they haven't exactly had that in office that consistently put up points, and that's what they have right now. I know we've discussed Miles Gaston at least a little bit, and you know he and Saquon Barkley and a bunch of other sophomore running backs next year will be being hyped uh, to the high heavens. But where, you know, where are you on him? What do you, what do you think? What do you like? What do you don't like? Well, I think in terms of, I mean, I think it's just in terms of everything, he's solid across the board. You know, has a good burst. Uh, has above, you know, pretty decent speed. Um, I think the the big thing for me also is is his just everything hips down is really you know quick and explosive in terms of uh, his you know everything below the waist is is very uh, uh, you know because he's an interesting guy because you know his his chest is you know his, it's almost like his top half is bigger than his lower half. But his lower half, you know, is very in terms of his his feet and everything else is super, super quick. Kind of scrappy do ish, I guess, is all I'm trying to say body type wise. <laughs> but you know, but Oh, I'm gonna now see that and take that every time I watch him. But but he's but he's good but he's good. I mean it's it's scrappy do in a good way, you know, it's it's you know, he he's just that guy that that's quick and and fat you know, relatively fast for his size and um, you know, gets going, has more power than you think he does. 
uh, and just keeps going and keeps coming and keeps coming. So, I mean, he, he, he's definitely pretty good in terms of those types of aspects of, of what he does. Yeah, I mean, he and, and Ronald Johnson, and I mean, there's a lot of very interesting young running backs in college football, obviously. And we'll get to watch them for, you know, one or more years in the future. But, I mean, Gaskin's one of those guys that's pretty solid in in uh, blitz pickup already. He's a pretty good receiver of the football. He's not super big, but he's got really good what I call contact balance, you know, the ability to fight through tackles that are, especially the tackles, t- tacklers and square them up to keep going, to fight through, uh, to get that extra, you know, yardage after contact, uh, good vision. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like there. I think people will be somewhat worried about his frame or whatever. I mean, he's not huge. He's like 191 pounds or something and five, ten and a half or whatever, but means he's almost exactly the same size as Tony Dorsett, who lasted like 13 years in the NFL, but, you know, I mean, if you study NFL running backs, it's clear that size doesn't really protect you. It's the ability not to take the kill shots that protects you. There are loads of really durable, smaller backs and lots of big, powerful, freak show, Brandon Jacobs types who don't last that long. It just, I mean, Beanie Wells was out of the league in, what, was it five years, Jim? Four and a half, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, with me, when it comes to size, I just haven't really seen the correlation, you know. Um, I know there's been lots of guys that have done studies and quote-unquote studies on size when it comes to running back, uh, but it's just the stuff I've done. There really hasn't been – it's been a slight correlation to bigger backs, slight, but it isn't, like, as clear-cut as you would expect, you know, um, because we, we've had tons of backs that have been, you know, this this year – and you can even go further back than, than right now, you know, guys like Barry Sanders and, um, and um, you know, recently Jamal Charles. I mean, Jamal Charles is not exactly a, you know, a super-duper big guy. and He's about 200 pounds when he was coming out. Uh, LaShawn yep. McCoy, same difference uh, in terms of that. Brian Westbrook coming out of, um, you know, oh, you know, Lenovo. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's – and big backs, I mean, with me with big backs, I just I just always see big backs as, like, that's just more body to hit. You know, like, that's – like, I, I do see the advantages in it, um, but I always see – you know, we see these backs who come in in the NFL, at least in terms of career trajectory. They come in to these big backs, like a Fournette, et cetera, who come in and they have – like that four-year window, man, where, like, they're just, like, amazing. Like, you've never seen this before type of, you know, four years of being really, really successful. And then the wheels start to fall off, and then the hits start to pile up, and then, you know, they start to, you know, they hit that – they become 28 years old, and they have the body of, like, a 50-year-old, you know, at that point. Um, Oh, you talking about Larry Johnson? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, all of them, all the all the big backs you could think of. You know, um, you know some of them that, that Isaiah really likes. You know, he, he thinks they're Hall of Famers. You know, those uh, th- those types of guys. Um, <laughs> Sean Alexander. Yeah, yeah, those types of guys. You know, they're the, they're big, they're powerful. They they're really good in terms of highlight reels, in terms of the what they do. Marion Barber's probably another one of those guys. You know, oh, where wow. it's like, wow, I love. American Barber, and sure, I like American Barber too, but you, you do want to, you know, retire and know who you are, right? In your 30s, you know, like, it's it's a legit concern, you know, with some of these guys, so um, I th- that's my only thing about it. Yeah, I do like big backs, and I cannot lie, but I also like, you know, Matt, Matt Forte is probably the biggest example of a, of a big back who doesn't take unnecessary hits. You know, right. Like David Johnson... Larry Forsyth, yeah. those guys are like the ideal. They have enough size that if they, God forbid, they have to actually run into someone full speed and, you know, fight through that, they can do it. They would prefer not to for reasons that I think are should be obvious, uh, life expectancy. I mean, you know, in terms of, well, I guess both ways, in terms of yeah. NFL career and maybe even in terms of living. But they do have enough size that if they do have to, you know, run to darkness, they can do it and, and come out in one piece, which, you know, it's just not encouraged no matter what your size. And, you know, eventually it doesn't work out for you if you do it enough times. I mean, one of the most powerful running backs I've ever seen, and I've seen, you know, them all basically, was, you know, the Tyler Rose, Earl Campbell. And as you said, I mean, he is a Hall of Famer. He had an amazing five-year run initially, and then, you know, it was still pretty good year six, and then, you know, year seven, as you said, you know, the tread, whatever too many years, things started to happen. And, yeah, literally by the age of 30, he was, you know, a shot fighter, uh, basically. So, you know, you can only run full speed into so many people <laughs> so long. That way, so long. That way, yeah, yeah. And he's you know, one of the, I guess, foremost examples. Uh, I mean, he was, you know, really one of the greatest running backs of all time. He, uh, he's on my very short list of the greatest running backs I've ever seen with my own two eyes, certainly. Uh, I mean, John Riggins was somewhat similar, but uh, probably just slightly faster even, despite the fact that he was white. White people can run. Uh, but... Uh, but not quite as a, not quite the same ability to just, you know, I mean, he ran through people too, but the sheer violence. I mean, I don't know how many more people I've seen. I mean, I, I obviously I've seen tape of Jim Brown. He retired, you know, as old as I am. He still retired a few years before I was even born, but I don't know if I've seen, I know for a fact that I've never seen anyone run with quite the sheer violence. Overall, Campbell. I mean, he destroyed people and himself eventually, but I mean, just the sheer unadulterated mass <laughs> acceleration squared that he brought to the table. You know, Riggins was a, a fast, powerful, exciting running back. And in his early career, he was really fast. I mean, that's what people forget is, it is though he was never really a load back with the Jets. The Jets never made him a 
really featured part of their attack. Ironically, it was only when he was past the age where most running backs, particularly big backs, are not supposed to be effective anymore that he finally became a superstar. Very odd career. Um, you know, he's been sort of six years as a committee back, and it just took Joe Gibbs, I guess, really, <laughs> seeing – actually, it was not Joe Gibbs that acquired him. It was the uh, uh, party. The part, right before they got shown the door, it was actually the Pardee administration that, that acquired him. And then the next year, and he had a decent first year, but it was the next year when Gibbs came in with all his counter tray and all that, you know, fun stuff he did with wham blocking and all, all the stuff. He did, he, I mean, if you are a big fan of super exo- exotic smash mouth is the term they use nowadays. They didn't use that term in those days. But Study Washington's running game, 82 to about 88. They had a lot of stuff going on in that running offense. I mean, Jim, if you're a connoisseur of that stuff, I cannot recommend more to you than grab some of those little playbooks, which you can now find floating around the Internet, from uh, Washington of that era. And the running attacks, their passing stuff is, you know, interesting, but it's mostly – very similar to what uh, the Chargers were doing, just less of it. But their running attack is what was so exotic and fascinating. But getting back to, you know, the the running back conundrum and, you know, size and power and versus the ability to avoid being beaten, beaten up or whatever, most of the running backs in this class, with a few exceptions, are guys that are fairly nimble. Even the bigger backs in this class are, I mean, I'm trying to think of there's a guy who's just straight line-ish. But most of the guys I can think of, at least amongst the guys that people like, are all guys that can, for the most part, avoid the kill shot. I mean, Nell Humphrey is excellent at it, which is why, as a 100 well, I'd say, I'd say every back in the class can avoid the kill shot, but there's lots of backs in the class who choose to take the kill shot. Well put. Then, you know, the, the other way around. Because, uh, I mean, Leonard Fournette can't avoid big hits, yeah. but he chooses yeah. not to. You know, he chooses to, you know, put his body in arm's way. And, Chubb, I don't even know what's happening with Chubb. I mean, because so far as this, at least we've reached a point now where I, I, I'm seeing Sonny Michael, you yep. know, play with better burrs, better. Sonny Michelle is right now the more explosive athlete, and I, I wonder if Chubb yep. is not a hundred percent. I think that's probably some something to do with it, uh, but I also just think it. I mean, I just was watching play after play after play where Chubb was just, like, cutting back to darkness in terms of some of his, you know, runs over and over and over again. Um, but I don't know. But that was just in a couple of games I saw, like the Kentucky game in particular, where I just, I don't know, I just felt like, you know, Michael was just, you know, finding the hole more, you know, in terms of the game. Uh, but, yeah, but Chubb was also a guy that, again, at the beginning of the year was, taking hits that was like, it was like people going, hey, look, Chubb's taking hits. It's like the whole Dante Culpepper, you know, 
pointing at his knee and going, the knee's fine, the knee's fine type of, you know, attitude about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't press your luck, man. Like, you know, at least, you know, like, I don't want you to play timid, but I also don't want you to go all gung-ho. Like, I'm invincible. Nothing can stop me. You know, like that sort of attitude about it. But, yeah. Yeah. This, he He's not the guy he was pre-injury. I mean, now, once again, maybe that's just, like I said, the residue of the injury itself. That might might change with time. But, yeah, there's a, a little lack of... I mean, he used to have supreme bursts. Like, he used to have really... Yeah, he used to have really terrific burst and explosiveness and change of direction. And he does seem to be a little less of all of the above uh, this year. So, yes, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does declare, which everyone has assumed that that he will, uh, how he actually tests and if maybe he, you know, like I said, not really fully 100%. I think there's, you know, Aaron Jones at UTEP is a fascinating running back. Most people have apparently decided to ignore, but he's a very talented. And, he, and once again, a guy who has another year of eligibility left, so we'll see what happens. My understanding is he would like to declare, but he hasn't gotten back the, the grade he wants from um, from the committee. So he may either decide to sort of fly in the face of that and declare anyway. Or he might come back for, for one more year. And there's also the the idea was floated around, at least from some people close to him, that he might transfer to a, uh, right. Right. you know, like Paul Charles Sims, essentially, going from Houston to, to West Virginia, like him transferring from UTEP to a bigger uh, program that needs a running back. So that's also right. kind of a possibility, which... You know, it was interesting, you know, if that were to happen. But, you know, it just depends. I mean, it's a really deep running back class. Aaron Jones definitely has been a guy who, you know, has pretty much everything you want in terms of a guy who has speed, you know, his power, his everything else like that. He just doesn't exactly have elite physical characteristics of the running back position. Yes. Then, Cameron uh, Petway has looked good at times. Currently, next, uh, let me see. He's another one of those big backs you mentioned that you probably would enjoy. Dalvin Cook. Still, my guy, uh, slightly down this year from from you know where he's some somewhat been in the past, but still very productive, very fast. Shows vision and change of direction. Has shown shown that he has good hands. He can run away from people, including people who looked like or thought they had an angle on him, and then you know he just destroys that angle. 
there was a time when people sort of assumed it was going to be a cook Fournette race for the top spot. I must lose much running backs. And they've both been discussed, you know, extremely, in, you know, deeply. The you know, lots has been said about each player. We'll usually see how it plays out. If, once again, if, if they are in this upcoming draft, because both of whom have another year of collegiate eligibility left. Now, Cook seems to be healthier than he, he was much of last year. How does he look to you, and what things, you know, do you look for when you're looking at a guy like Cook? Well, honestly, I, I just, you know, I, I value the ring position. Like, you know, I, I don't really have, I'm like some people are like, well, big backs need to be able to do this and small backs need to be able to do this. Like, I'm not exactly that type of a guy. Um, but I, I do think when it comes to Cook, my only big knocks on him was at the beginning of the year, uh, he was pressing things a lot in terms of trying to get the big play uh, you know, basically trying to bounce everything outside, bounce everything outside, bounce everything outside, and wasn't having a ton of success in terms of those types of things. Uh, and his pass protection has been hit or miss, you know. Um, there's There's been some games where he he is definitely showed a commitment to pass pro, and there's been other games where it was just kind of all over the place in terms of uh, what he does, I think, I think again, I think he's improved a lot. Um, I think, for me, he reminds me most of a, a, not really DeMarco Murray 100%, but sort of a speed back um, in the sense of he has some explosiveness, he has some speed. I'm not quite sold on flexibility 100% in terms of just total flexibility because he doesn't he doesn't consistently break as many tackles as I as I'd like him to break if you will uh, when it comes to close quarters uh, sort of situations uh, but but I do like him uh, he, I mean he's my top back right now um, which has been kind of fluctuating a bit between uh, McCaffrey and uh, Fournette uh, but I just kind of wonder about pass protection and uh and those sorts of things when it comes to him. Um but so far he's had a better second he's had a better second half than he has a first half anyway. And you know there's guys like Matt Bays who fly their trade in the ACC. There's a good number of I mean there are some guys who are superstars but Getting beyond that, there's a good number, I think, of, of possible starters in that class. Now, yes. Now, you seemed very much not a fan, not impressed with the tight end class, and we discussed some of this you know, obviously towards the end of towards the beginning of the year. I'm going, yeah, okay. So I sounds like I'm a, I'm a correct in assuming that you haven't warmed up. So one. Do you think it's just sort of a cyclical, hey, it happens kind of thing, or do you feel like more to that? Hey, it happens kind of. I mean, to me, um, I just, 
just none of them really stuck out. And O.J. Howard, I mean, O.J. Howard got lit up by, you know, Jamal Adams against LSU in a, in a way where I'm like, Robert Ronkowski wouldn't let that happen. You know, like, I'm just, I'm just sort of, Howard to me, I, I just, there's things about him where, you know, there's just not a ton of, of just like, you know, really, really incredible determination after the catch and just power. Like he has speed, but there's not much else to it than that. He is incredibly refined as a route runner. I think that there's a lot of guys that are solid in this class. I mean, uh, I think underrated guys like Mason Shrek at Buffalo, he's a, he's a guy that, has been having a pretty solid year in terms of what he does. He's not an incredible athlete, but he, he can get open. He can break some tackles. He can make plays after the catch. Tyler Conklin is another guy, you know, at Central Michigan, kind of like that. Uh, I think Jake Butt is just kind of a solid inline guy that doesn't give a ton of other than that. Adam Brenneman from Massachusetts is a similar guy to Mason Shrek. Jeremy Sprinkle is similar to Jake Butt in a lot of ways in terms of kind of what he brings to the table. And I honestly kind of like the H-back tight ends in the class more than the inline guys. I mean, I think guys like Evan Ingram and Troy Fumagalli and uh, Gerald Everett and Jordan Leggett, Billy Freeman, uh, I think all those guys have put up a lot better tape than the inline guys in this class in terms of uh, H-back tight ends versus inline tight ends. You know, or pocket tight ends, as I kind of like to call them. And I guess there's no way to avoid uh, the two lines, offensive and defensive. Thinking just about things that have changed since, say, mid-season or things that have happened since fairly early in the process. Uh, what are some of the things that you did notice? And and then I know that, you know, there's been guys who said had really poorly timed injuries, Will Likely, and a few others. Uh, I guess it's sort of a two-parter. And then how much do you think that that may have hurt them? or will hurt them uh, when draft time rolls around? Well, it really just depends on who you are. If you've got, like, will likely, a, a you know, a broken leg or a big injury like that is enough to make you a UDFA guy, you know. And in some cases, it's enough, it's enough to make people completely forget that you even existed and you don't even get a shot, you know, with, with certain certain – players that I've seen that happen to, you know, where Drew Lott's probably one of those guys where you know, he had an injury and was injured through the process and, you know, not much else has happened after that fact in terms of that. So, but if you're like a really highly touted player who gets injured, like Eddie Jackson, you know, a team like the Patriots or, you know, anybody might still take you in the first round, late first, despite the injury. Oh, what? Like around from the 25 to 32 range, you're usually one of those guys that we picked in right around there. Yeah, yeah, you know, something like that. If you, I mean, if you're an injured guy and you've got a lot of pre, 
pre-draft hype and stuff like that. I mean, they'll still take you high, uh, but it's really just about how teams view you in terms of your overall upside and stuff like that. Got it. And I know you haven't dug too deeply into, like, FCS or Division two, so I'll have some guys to revisit when we get to that point in, in things. Now... I had a quick question, though. Yeah, sorry. go ahead, Isaiah. I just looked at Seth Russell's injury. Um, yeah, it's not, not easy to watch. How much does this affect his stock going forward? If he, we know well, his Baylor career is done. Right. Well, I mean, it it most likely means he will not be able to have a pro day. He won't be able to say in things like the combine. It probably means he goes undrafted. Now, it doesn't mean that he necessarily doesn't get a chance somewhere. When someone suffers a really serious injury and who's having, you know, sort of a struggly season anyway, it, like I said, it probably means undrafted. Best case scenario is late day three at this point. But more likely... I have a second-round pick already. So that goes that thing. Well, I mean, that's... And there are also people who said they thought at one point that you know, Matt Barkley was going to be a first overall pick. So I don't know how much stock to put in things like that, but I believe he would have been drafted uh, had he not been injured. And now, like I said, I'll be, you know, I, I'll be shocked if he is. I think more likely now he's a guy who's a prior to undrafted free agent and somebody may, you know, he may not be 100% for a while. So he may just get parked on someone's practice squad for a year and then they may take a look to see what they have. Okay, thank you. I just thought I asked. Not a problem. No. Well, since you're here, Isaiah, uh, how deeply have you gone into your position rankings at this point? How far have I gone into my position rankings? Yes. Uh, yes. I'm still in the middle of my running back still. I just finished a few guys recently uh, in my wide receivers as well. been trying to study some more corners as of late. Okay. So, in terms of your running back rankings, how much have they changed since the last time we had you, which was a few weeks ago? Um, not too drastically. So, I mean, sort of the top guys are, you know, right there. But, I mean, there's some guys in the middle, like Alvin Kamara. He sort of moved up. Um, James Conner, he sort of shifted down a bit. Um, some guys, you know, just have impressed me and sort of been thrown in there. Dante Foreman's been rising on my board quite a bit. Okay. So, who would you say is the running back that you have who's maybe been the most pleasant surprise for you between the beginning of the season and now, the guy that maybe has done the most no to impress you. Mm-hmm. No doubt Joe Mixon. Okay. 
in Kamara are probably the two guys. I'd never sucked anything off Kamara. Oh, well, I mean, he even looked good in his brief time at Alabama, though he didn't see that field a lot. He, he, I, I was impressed with what little I saw. And his high school tape was, you know, extraordinarily good. So, you're, I mean, Mixon, for me, is a guy that, I'll be very, very honest, I don't really have him on my board until he, he – I need to see a year of him clean. Not mm-hmm. No no 3 a.m. phone calls, no nothing. I need quiet except for when he's on the field playing football. I and mean, until there's an then, going on, he's better than Pew Ryan. I don't believe that, honestly. Wait, you said there's a what? There's a, there's a debate going on that he's better than Samaji P. Ryan, which is sort of laughable. Well, I mean, there's two things sort of wrong with that. One is Samaji P. Ryan has never had a moment of trouble in his collegiate career in terms of, I mean, that to me that's an enormous part of an evaluation is can I trust this dude, <laughs> you know? And with Prime, the answer is completely, totally, 100% yes, at least so far. With Mixon, the answer is a soft maybe at best. I, I know I seem to see they do trust Pirine more in the goal line area. And they use Mixon. To, you well, know, I mean, I'm talking about as a person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, forget the football thing for a moment. I can't trust you as a person. Look at the career of guys like Randy Gregor. Look at the career of guys like, I mean, there's lots of people who the amount of trouble they are as a person completely outweighs whatever talent they may have. Mm-hmm. Mixon has talent. He reminds me a lot of guys like Deuce McAllister, right? He's got a lot of Deuce McAllister type quality. You know, powerful and fast and good route runner and good hands and all those kinds of things. But he has never been able to stay out of trouble for any length of time. It's not like he's had, you know, one or two isolated incidents, every few weeks, it seems like, or you know, every couple of months, he's good for an incident of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, he might declare, but I wouldn't take it. He would, I would need to see him spend a year, one, be, show me to be the guy. He's never been the guy, right? I mean, that's the first thing. So he's been he's he a part-time had player. Had for three years. Right. So that's the first thing is I want to see him be the guy. Show me something there. Be be a be the main guy for a while, and then secondarily. Now is Saquon mm-hmm. Berkeley a uh, true sophomore? Or is he still a sophomore? True sophomore. Still a true sophomore. Just like the last time you asked me. So he'll be a junior next year. Ronald Jones will be a junior next year. Miles Gaffin will be a junior next year. Those are all guys who are on my all-emerging team. They're all sophomores. Gaskins is a pure stud. Yeah, well, there's a lot of really good sophomore running backs, you know, in case you're, in case you're wondering. Um, I'll say you a running back that people don't talk about, but we'll be talking about next year. Is that kid Rashad Penny? Then they'll pump mm-hmm. his back up. He's a really good running back. I know. I watch a lot of, uh, you know, 
And then, you know, I see a lot of him, too. I think he's the better runner. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that's true, but I think he's really good. Um, Denell Pumphrey is essentially rewriting the record books. I don't think Rashad Penny has the balance or lower body strength uh, that we have in a guy like Pumphrey. I mean, people, like I said, I don't think people really understand how good Denell Pumphrey is, but whatever. Uh, you know, the NFL will, will hopefully figure it out, and I guess once he gets in the league, you know, you'll, you'll just have to see what he is, but he's super durable, stronger than you'd expect, can do anything, I mean, except be bigger, but I mean, he catches the ball well, he, he's solid in blitz pickup, he can return punts and kickoffs, so that's probably the one thing where Rashad Penny is better. He's even, uh, Penny's a really good punt and kickoff returner. Uh, but Pumphrey's ahead of of him in pretty much everything else. I mean, Pumphrey is a guy that gets more, way more yards after contact, uh, is better at sort of anticipating where defense is coming from. And, you know, I mean, he's really good at a whole lot of things. You know, he's a super complete running back who just has, like I said, except size, has pretty much everything. You know, there's there's no holes in his game besides he's just not big. But despite just not being big, like I said, he's super durable. He's never missed a practice. Forget a game, he's never missed a practice. How many guys can you say that about? You can't say that about Fournette. You can't say that about, well, Mixon, he's being suspended. You can't say that about about P. Ryan. You can't say it about Perrine. You can't say it about, uh, you know, Chubb or Cook or – right. I mean, he's never missed a practice. He's one of the most durable running backs in this class or most classes. It's hard to find a guy who's had that many touches who's never missed a practice. Forget a game. He's going to make a practice. So I don't want to hear about this, you know – Durability. He, he, there's no durability concerns. He's super durable. He's the most durable. No one's as durable as he is. You know, that's your imagination. Imaginary uh, concerns about durability. Based I feel like on you have this big beef with me about this train. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again? I feel like you have this imaginary beef with me right now. No, I don't imagine they beef with anybody. I'm just saying I've seen people <laughs> write up in their scouting reports that they have, you know, concerns about durability. It's like, well, what's it based on? Because it's not based on what he's done. He's probably his never size. Right, but what does his size have to do with durability if the guy's never missed a practice? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he, he never gets hurt. <laughs> trying to say is, when you say a guy has durability concerns, usually it's because he has a history of injuries or, you know, something like that versus no evidence of injuries and not a lot of stuff to back up that size prevents injuries. There isn't a lot of right. stuff that points right. towards that. Exactly. I mean, lots of big backs get hurt all the time. Size clearly has... I keep explaining this to people, and I don't know why they still don't get it. I don't know why they still don't get it. 
The thing that determines how durable a back is is not its size, it's how many big shots he takes. Mm-hmm. Lots of big backs who took lots of big shots were done really quickly. Beanie Wells was done before his 27th birthday. You know what I mean? Like, there's lots of big backs that don't work out because they take big shots. While loads of smaller backs who know how not to take big shots play for years and years and years and years and years. So, I don't know. I've said it many times. I don't know when people will finally figure it out. It's not the number of touches that determines how durable a back will be. It's not the size of the back that determines how how durable a back will be. It's the shots. It's the big hit that determines how durable a back will be. So loads of small backs from Tony Dorsett, you know, Wilbert Montgomery, I mean, a long list of dudes have long successful careers who are 180-something pounds, 190 pounds, because they knew, I'm not going to let you square me up and blast me, right? (laughs) Now, if you're a power back, and your business, you know, you decide you're in the, you know, running into people business, yeah, you probably should be bigger if that's how you're planning to to do this thing. But that's not the only way to be a running back. You don't have to run into people. And I guess the sooner people figure that out, the sooner they'll do a better job of evaluating running backs because a lot of great running backs simply didn't, didn't take the big hits. I mean, Marshall Falk's not exactly a giant. Oh, um, I don't know if people care, but Louisville, I guess, is officially on upset alert. Wake Forest is still leading. But uh, I'm checking there right now. Yeah, sure. Why don't you do that? So in terms of the... Here's the thing, I guess. You know, I think we've agreed, Jim, that for the most part, there's a pretty solid set of, you know, I mean, the tackle class, offensive tackle class, we're not crazy wild about, though there's, I think, a little more talented than people realize, but, you know, not first rounders, uh, not, you know, not many of those. And then I guess there are the place where we have dis- discovered there's some thinness, though there's, once again, as you mentioned, Mr. I love his fact, his name is Shrek, and uh, I finally, I, like I said, I haven't seen a whole game yet. Uh, so I need to see a whole game of Buffalo. That's, that's all I'm still on my list to do. But at least I found some, you know, cut-ups and highlights and whatever. And Gerald Everett, I mean, there's some guys, but not a, obviously not a great bunch of tight ends. Other than that, is there another position class where you're sort of worried or concerned? I mean, where you don't see a lot of guys who might have success? Because those are the only two classes that I've really been worried about. Probably nose tackle. Oh, right. Yes. Right, right, right. And yeah, two noses, yeah. And the linebacker class, pursuit linebacker class, is, I mean, I like it, but I don't love it. It's like one of those types of things with the, with the pursuit linebacker class. Um, I think they're the linebackers. Well, I mean, people that, like Raekwon McMillan need to go away. 
people that are really into Ruben Foster should go away. I just feel like there is a lot of, I mean, there's a decent amount of, of good linebackers, pursuit linebackers, if you will, but I don't think there's a ton. I think the corner class has depth, but I don't, I mean, after all the corners I've seen, Bill, I've seen a lot of corners. I didn't come away with any of them going, oh, my gosh, this guy has potential to be, you know, a superstar cornerback sure. with, with any other cornerback. Yeah, Patrick Peterson is not in this class, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah or Revis or, you know, any, yeah. any other types of guy. Um, I think there's a lot more zone corners than there is man corners, and even the man corners in the class are not exactly very – and it comes back to the shuffle bell. I'm – Sick and tired of the shuffle. The, the shuffle well, bell tech. I don't have to tell is, you how I feel about it. You know how I feel about but that. But like it's popping up more and more at places where it shouldn't pop up anymore. Like a Dory Jackson's doing shuffle bell, and I'm like, Dory Jackson has hips. He can turn. He can move. He could. Why? Right. Why right. is He's he doing blazing. shuffle bell? Here's a guy who's got a legit ten four two hundred meter time in his in his background. <laughs> A guy who can turn and run like he can should the – only, the only time he should even be at Queen with Shuffle Bells, he laughs at less at the corners doing it. Exactly. So it's just sad. And is but Jordan yeah. Jackson even really a corner? He just seems more of an athlete than anything. He's a, well, he's a corner. I mean, that's – he's going to be playing cornerback. I mean, that's you know, you know what I mean. Right, I know what you mean, but I'm saying that whatever you and I want to say about that, that's what he's going to be when he's drafted, whether it be this year or the next, he'll be drafted as a corner. And will people occasionally throw him onto the field in certain situations and on offense? And will he probably return some kicks or punts? Sure. But, you know, when he looks on his you know, W-4s or whatever, when he looks on his tax orbs, it's going to say a Dory Jackson profession cornerback. Cornerback, yeah. When he gets his check in the mail, it's going to be, you know, $2 million for cornerback skill. You know, like that's, it's, that's how he's going to get paid. Um, the whole he's more athlete than corner, I don't think is 100% correct. I know people have been saying that a lot about him, but he actually – does do certain things. He's a relatively decent tackler in space for the most part. Um, he has a good feel for making plays away from where he's at. So, like, if the cornerback on the other side of the field makes a mistake and a guy is about to get a touchdown, he's usually cleaning up those types of plays. So, I I, I think the places he struggles a bit is, you know, sometimes struggles to kind of locate the ball 100% at times. Um, you know, doesn't he still is one of those quarterbacks that doesn't always get his head turned around 100% when it comes to deep balls? I think, um, but I think what I mean yeah. to say about the whole athleticism thing, he's going to get drafted based on his athleticism and what you know what his potential is rather than what he's been doing. Right, going to get get pushed up. Sure, higher. I mean he's a he's a much less polished player than a guy like Desmond King or even guy like Brendan Langley, right? You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of really good corners that most people don't even know the names of in this class. And he's going to go ahead of a lot of those guys because he's at USC. 
and because he's a sprinter. I mean, he's legitimately super fast. But, yes, are there better corners in this class? Yes. Yes, there are. There are better corners in this class. Like I said, some of them, even at the FCS level, there are guys who are better in terms of the detail work, the finer points of playing the position. But he's at USC. (laughs) He's played against a lot of really good wide receivers and sometimes done well and sometimes gotten torched. And he's fast. So, I mean, we we can sort of sometimes laugh about, you know, he's going to show up at the combine and run 4-3-7 or whatever and, you know, first round. <laughs> if you play at USC and you're a starter for a couple of years and you show up at the combine and you run 4-3-7 and your tape is at least, even though somewhat inconsistent, at least good, somebody's going to take you somewhere around pick number 26. the quote-unquote upside. And you know what? A lot of cornerbacks who have high lots of – you know, cornerbacks is one of those positions where there have been some cornerbacks that had athleticism and stuff but didn't have a ton of refinement and eventually developed into a starter, you know, a starter for the most part. Um, so people are going to knock his height and stuff like that. But, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a little – tired of the height argument 100 percent, but uh in terms of in terms of now anyways i mean you know nickel cornerbacks and that kind of stuff has just kind of opened up possibilities right. and, and plus the, the emergence of slot wide receivers short slot right. yeah, you well, to, what, 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 what here we go you, you tell corner you know to make it well, well, I mean, let's, let's, let's do this let's play a quick game name the okay. greatest six foot three corner of all time uh, Sherman, maybe. Yeah. Well, Sherman's not six foot three. That's close enough. He's he's almost six two. He's six one and seven eight. Yeah, I don't think there is one. Ding, 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 ding. Right. I mean, Sean Smith is six foot three. Um, he's not More great. Like six two and change. Well, I mean, he's right. He's almost six foot three. He's the closest to six foot three amongst even decent corners. Now, people have tried to have six foot three corners, you know, from Stanley Jean Baptiste. And there's been a few, but I mean, none of them have been any darn good. So, what about the guy on um, the guy on Washington opposite Sidney Jones, is he going to possibly just move to safety in the next level when he's six foot three? Well, one, he's no, he's not, though he's close. But but here's the point. We just talked about people's obsession with tall corners. So if he tests even reasonably well, they're going to keep him at corner uh, because people are obsessed with tall corners. Now, he might end up eventually moving this to safety, but here's what, I, what it comes down to. me once again, which upsets the crap out of me, as I've mentioned before, because... Just taking a stiff corner and moving him to safety solves nothing. But you know what? When what, someday people will learn. But here's what I'm getting back to. 
there's always a session with, with, with height and length and whatever at the corner position. And long arms are cool, and they are very helpful when you're playing corner. But the ability to, to, to have great balance, to have patience in your back pedal, to have great feet and hips, to be able to accelerate extremely quickly, then decelerate and reaccelerate extremely quickly are way more important than height, though. It's been mm-hmm. proven a million times over, but still people freak out over height. I don't, I don't know. Hey, it's cool if you can get it. Like, I wouldn't turn down a guy because he was tall, but to push a guy up simply because he's tall, whether or not he can actually play, I keep thinking, you know, the Mike Rumpf and the Pat Watkinses and the uh, Stanley Jean-Baptiste and the, I mean, Sean Smith's kind of sort of played, worked out, but most of the guys haven't. Sean Smith is probably about as good as it gets for the 6'3 or really close to 6'3 corners. People get super excited about them, and they almost never pan out. Well, that's hard to move when you're 6'3 at corner. Well, that's what was that? Many of them, though. Oh. Yeah, there's been a few. And like I said, they've usually not worked out simply because it's so hard to turn quickly enough to stay in place, to stay in phase, to, to not lose ground to superior athletes, to guys who are really athletic. So as long as you're, you know, not having to try to cover people who are supremely athletic, yeah, you're, you're going to be okay. But there's a lot of really good athletes in the wide receiver position in the NFL, in case you haven't heard. So yeah. when, when you see those guys, when you're, I mean, I'm not even talking about superstars. I'm talking about guys who are good, like Alan Hearn. Like, he's not a superstar. He's just good. But he's going to hurt you. You're going to get torn up by that guy. If you're a six foot three guy without truly extraordinary body control. Like, that's the cool thing about a guy like, like Patrick Peterson. Is he's a very big corner, but with extraordinary body control. But those guys are very hard to come by, <laughs> you know, as we, I think we all know. You know, so most of the corners, the most of the best corners in this class are about 5'11". Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's completely acceptable, to me at least. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what some people might think, but that's, that's say, 5'11 is fine. That's, that's a normal corner. I am completely fine with a 5'10", 5'11", corner, even a 5'9", corner. Occasionally 5'8", depending on who the athlete. Well, I mean, Will Likely was going to be an interesting test case because he's, you know, probably 5'7". And so... Nickel? Well, who knows? I mean, unfortunately, he's hurt. But he's been playing outside, and... People have been throwing tall corners at him his entire career. I know what he's done. He's handled them. He's handled them. 
he is, have, has he occasionally gotten beaten? Yes. But for the most part, he's more than held his own. He has been one of the better corners in this draft class, and unfortunately, he's gotten hurt. So that combined with the fact that he's about 5'7". Plays in Maryland. And plays in Maryland. Thank you. If you played, played on Michigan, he'd already be a first-rounder, you know. <laughs> yeah. This one. Right. Right. Good point. My point is he's a terrific football player. And, you know, a lot of people sort of think of him as a return specialist. And, of course, he's very good at that, like a lot of corners are, because the great corners are people with exceptional agility, tremendous burst and vision. And he does have those all those qualities. But to me, he's a really good cornerback prospect. And if I'm, oh, a team that has struggled, particularly, yes, I mean, can he play in the slot? Of course. But he's proven he could do more than that. He's played against oh, a long list of tall receivers. Um, he's sort of the Senquist Bulls team, am I right? Well, he's a better – that's how I put this. So Golston is still a little bigger than he is because uh, Golston, I think, was legitimately five eight and three quarters. He's not even that tall. He's probably five seven and a quarter. So yes, he's very small. There's no getting around it. But he is a superior athlete, or at least prior to injury, was superior athlete. I mean, tremendously athletic. I mean, his you know, leaping ability and body control and feet and hips and, I mean, name something, right? I mean, once again, other than be bigger, he did everything. He was a good tackler. He was uh, uh, smart. Uh, I mean, all the stuff you want, good hands, great hands. I mean, what all the stuff you want except height, you know, I guess, but he had everything besides. I mean, if Will Likely were six feet tall, hell, even 5'11", you know, we'd be seeing him mocked in the top 15. And, and I guess wasn't at Maryland, as Tim Hughes pointing out. But, you know, he's, you know, and, I just, and getting hurt obviously doesn't help. I and mean, that's probably, the, you know, the, the timing of it and that, you know, there's no good time to get now, hurt. Is, he out, for the, is he out for the year? Oh, he's out for the rest of the season, most certainly, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Very poorly timed, but Hey. He's a senior, correct? Oh, yes. Yes, he is. Okay. So, you know, but like I said, he's a guy that I really, really like. And, you know, it's very sad that he's hurt. But I'm sure he'll come back. And, you know, I would not hurt my feelings at all if he found his way, speaking of Bolson, if, if he found his way somewhere to Pittsburgh. Because then they could have... You know, a lot of teams, when they want to go four wide, they're you know, if you want to... in the middle. Exactly. So now you've got two, you know, pretty darn athletic and pretty good think... tackling. I'm pretty sure corners. I heard some talk about moving him to safety, Bolston. So that's not that's impossible. Not I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I usually get mad when I hear about that, but I guess I, because he's not, you know, a stiff, non-productive underachiever, I can kind of sort of live with it. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that has a lot of qualities that I think might allow him to actually play the position at a reasonably high level. 
QB is an undersized safety, obviously. But Bosa still has to play an NFL snap of, you know, professional football, period. Right, outside the preseason, yeah. Moving forward. Yes, moving forward. So the tight end class, uh, Jim, you've said that there's, there is some hope. Uh, so are there any, I mean, Jake Butt, as you said, is kind of a, uh, I mean, I think I might have compared him to Lee Smith or somebody. I mean, he's a you solid. compared him to Jack Doyle. Well, yeah, if Jack Doyle, right, right. If Jack Doyle were a little less athletic and you know, a little, a little less able to create separation as a receiver. But yes, yes. I mean, that's that's a comparison that I've seen. Lee Smith, you know, I mean, he's sort yeah. of a... He'll get 300, 400 yards a season. You know, he'll get five touchdowns. He'll be a fantasy tight end that people will be frustrated with, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Well put. A guy that I really like, I I think that, I believe this is his senior season. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think if Oregon yeah. would use him a bit more, Evan Bayless. Well, they have a lot of I, tight ends. Uh, yeah. to try to feed. Johnny Munt is a guy that I've liked. Obviously, Farrell Brown is the most highly touted of the group. So your guy's in the mix, but they have a lot of tight ends. That's the deepest position probably of their entire offensive uh, group. They have a lot of wide receivers. Yeah, they have a lot of wide receivers, but they have a lot of quality tight ends. I mean, their wide receiving group uh, is not that great. I mean, Charles Nelson is an intriguing little, you know, scat wide receiver, I guess, if that's a classification. Carrington, I'm not, I'm not wild about. Plus, there's some character stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things to not be super excited about with him. I mean, that's yet another one of the things where, obviously, Oregon has come up short. They A lot of those guys that people, you know, were telling me the past couple of years were about to break out. Um, with Mr. Royce Freeman having a nice, about four game stretch, there's not been much of a a breakout for any of the no. guys up there. Well, Oregon players have continually been in a bubble of hype and stuff like that. I mean, you know, there was legit people saying, "Oh, Eric Armstead's better than DeForest Buckner," when that was never the case. Yeah. Buckner was always the better defensive lineman, but people kept saying Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead. And check out that Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead. And it's like, uh, he's not your best defensive lineman, man. Like it's 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 something where like when you have when you, when you start with a level of uh delusion about the players on your team who are actually good and who aren't good and then this kinda happens, I guess. But um I would say in general Oregon players have been a little overrated um, considering, I mean, they, they were a team that to me had a very good quarterback in Marcus Marietta, which you, covered up a lot of issues. Would you classify Buccaneer as overrated? 
Eh, kind of. I mean, I don't. I don't think he's a special defensive lineman, but I do think he's a guy that he's going to have be a solid starter as a three-four uh, DN. I'll take him in uh, in Pittsburgh if somebody yeah. is dissatisfied yeah. with it. Well, you'll take anybody, really. I mean, you get oh god, any I mean, defensive player would be. It's like they've just yeah. forgotten how to find five techniques. Ugh, it's so frustrating. Well, they got three techs playing five. Uh, that works. Yes, yes, that's excellent. Oh God. And you got that uh, Artie Burns. Yeah, that guy, a cornerback. No, no. Imagine they got a guy like George Lewis to pair with them. I don't know if that would be much better, 100%. Be a little better. But not necessarily. Yeah, I'm preferring to imagine getting somebody like Brendan Langley or getting somebody like, uh, hey, his old teammate Cornelder or. Desmond King, maybe. Would you mind getting Cam Sutton? <sighs> well, I guess it depends on what round. Um, <laughs> if I can, third if round. I can get him, if I can get him in like the third or something, I'm okay with it. You're not thrilled. You'll just be okay with it. I wouldn't be thrilled, but I'd be okay with it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a fair way to put it. You know, it's funny. I mean. <sighs> I think the people who got super excited about Cameron Sutton, one, were either assuming he was going to improve more than he did, or two, sort of like with Adoree Jackson, were just thinking he was going to be such an amazing pure athlete that, you know, his lack of polish and technique was going to be just something that people would just overlook. I think the same corner that falls into that group with Adoree and Sutton is Tredavious White. Well. Yeah, he plays cornerback. Uh, yes, he does play cornerback. That's I mean, there's been like the super athletes that you think will get better, which they really haven't, just based well, on their athleticism. Well, the I, thing is, Travis Wright isn't a tremendous athlete. I mean, if he runs for, you know, probably runs four or five at the combine, you know, four or five two, four or five one. My big thing is he isn't incredibly explosive and he isn't very powerful, you know. He's kind of a weak quarterback, you know, I don't at least for guys. Guy. Well, yeah, in terms of, you know, covering guys in transition uh, and, uh, you know, breaking up the ball and playing the ball in the air, he does that well, but when it comes to fighting a physical wide receiver and having to match power and getting off the blocks and getting the running back, he doesn't quite do that that well. Basically saying when he matches up against somebody like Anquan Bolden, he will... I'm basically saying that he has more things in common with Justin Gilbert than he does, you know, anything. Or DJ Hayden. You know, that was sort of like a 4-5 or five version of DJ Hayden. Ah... Well, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Now, Jim, have you done any work on special teams? Uh, your specialists, punters, place kickers. I guess 
long snappers, maybe? Kind of. <laughs> okay. Sort of. Um, I have been doing the, you know, uh, touch-to-toe time stuff. I haven't done every single punter and kicker yet, but I have been kind of – I have about 30 so far, but I don't think that's a large enough thing. And plus, it's just this year, too. So I don't think that's really an update to really say anything about anything, you know, in terms of that. Um, I did, I did look into athleticism at puncher and kicker, and I ran into this problem where, like, every year there was only like one punter or one kicker that actually oh, did yes. right. <laughs> everything. Right. right. Uh, I also did oh average punts. Uh, I think it was yeah average yards per punt. I did a big sample collection of that, which had core, you know, had a decent correlation to guys who average, uh, you know, like guys who are like 47 yards per punt, 50 yards per punt. That's where, so there was a, a decent correlation, but there was nothing to add to it to help filter stuff down. Uh, so it didn't really, it wasn't very helpful in terms of, uh, in terms of going forward because I didn't have any other stuff to add to it to, to help it. Um, and I did height stuff too, and that didn't really go anywhere. So what I'm trying to say is in terms of like punter and kicker analytics and long snapper analytics, um, very, uh, you know, infant when it comes to that kind of stuff, at least so far. Got it. You know, I certainly think there's something something in there that could be explored and learned and it would just take somebody being very, 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 you know, serious and dedicated uh, to do all the work necessary to figure all that stuff out. So good luck. Uh, if it's not you, you know, whoever puts in the, the work and the time to... Wherever that is, yeah. I don't know who that exactly. guy is, but... Like, I love to watch punters. Punters so they're so cool, you know, on my own guy. I like to meet that guy is all I'm trying to say. The guy who likes to watch punchers and kickers. Most of the time they're actually punchers and kickers themselves, so, yeah. Usually, yeah, you are correct about that. Now, I know that you do like the guards, and I believe you said you also like the centers as well. Is that, is that also correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Guards and centers, probably one of the deepest parts of the class, yeah. Any movement from where you were, say, you know, two, three weeks into the season to now? Any guys that maybe have moved up or down since then? Mm, not necessarily. Uh, I think... I mean, right now, my guys that I view as guys I would consider taking as first-rounders are guys like, you know, Pat Elfline, Adam Biznawati, Brian Allen from Michigan State, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, Tyler Orlowski from West Virginia, Ethan Posick. But nothing's really changed from that kind of perspective. But I do think that there is a ton of uh, interior offensive line talent in the class in terms of just sheer number of guys that I think could start its position um, and high-quality guys, too, which I think doesn't get talked about enough. 
honestly, in this class. Because people bemoan the tackle class, which is fine, I get it, but there's lots of guards in the class that I think can do a pretty good job that people don't, you know, talk about. Right. Are you still with us, Isaiah? If we lost Isaiah, I guess we lost Isaiah. I think there's any other position groups worthy of note that we hadn't noted. Uh, top safeties. Uh, oh, Edge, duh. Okay. Um, any changes for you from beginning to now of, of you know where you have people slotted? And if there's any changes, is there anybody maybe might be particularly you know, hot, who's really helped themselves a lot recently in your eyes? I mean, Takers McKinley maybe would be one of those guys that kind of helped them because of exposure and stuff like that. I'm still wishy-washy on him, man, but um, I do see the sort of athletic potential there in terms of get-offs and explosiveness and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of other edge guys, uh, this is gonna be a really interesting edge class because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys who who didn't quite hit. Um, like basically, there's a lot of edge guys who 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 hit production thresholds that when I when I put on the tape I didn't like them that much, and then there was other guys who I did like their tape but they didn't quite put up very good uh, production uh, numbers. So like Taco Carlton, Charlton, and um, a few other guys kind of like that. They, they didn't quite hit certain production things, but okay. So so what things did you yeah. see that you liked in terms of his tape? Well, I just felt like in terms of tape wise, I mean, I you know I think he has you know good size. Obviously, uh, he is explosive for his size. Like honestly, I just see a Malik McDowell type of guy, um, but with a little bit better uh, body control and balance and, and that sort of stuff. He's not the most balanced player, but he has a little bit more balance than, than McDowell. Um, and he does have some counters that are effective. Uh, some of like his spin move uh, is actually fairly effective for a guy his size. Uh, he actually got Ryan Ramsick, Ramshack on a, on a spin move one time against Wisconsin. Um, but his his issue again is a lot like Takers McKinley in that you know you go to the Wisconsin game and he's doing a lot of plays he's he's getting in the backfield and you know actually getting you know, tackled sacks whatever and then you go to the Hawaii game and he's not even you wouldn't even know he was there you know 100 percent I didn't play a ton in that game because you know by the second half it was over pretty much for Hawaii but. That first half, he just really didn't stick out at all. Um, he, didn't, he didn't even look as tall as 
he clearly looks at other games, so uh, <laughs> which I thought was weird. I just thought it was weird, you know, because he didn't so he, really he actually his... shrank. <laughs> it looked like to me, I don't know. Like I was, I saw that game, and I'm like, okay, this guy looks like six four ish. And then when I went to other games, he actually, you know, standing up, and and that's sort of thing. He kind of looked closer to six five, six 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 ish. Uh, but um, I don't know. There was just stuff like that that kind of stuck out with, with Charlton. Like, I I see what people see in, in Charlton. My only issue, though, is the production issue is a legit issue. It's it's something that is odd like that. And he's not exactly the youngest cat either. You know, which I, I don't want to get into the whole age thing, but, you know, he's it's it's been, you know, freshman year didn't really break out. Sophomore year didn't really break out. You know, junior year didn't quite break out either. And then now we're into the senior year and it's been hot, hot and cold for most of the year for him. So, um, but like there's, you know, there's guys like him that I, I do, he's had some games that I think I, he's played well in. Uh, and, but I still am iffy on him in terms of like projection. There's other guys that I think are criminally underrated. You know, Jordan Willis is one of those guys that I think is, you know, really, really underrated in terms of what he does at Kansas State. Derek Barnett is somebody that I still am iffy in terms of like him being an elite guy, but I do think he's going to be a, a long, you know, long-term starter at the position. JT Jones at Miami, Ohio is another guy who doesn't get enough. Uh, yeah, you know, pub, but I think he's Fairly decent. Bradley Chubb at NC State is another one of those guys that's kind of like that. And Josh Carraway, I need to go back and watch him a little bit more because everybody was kind of like, Josh Carraway, TCU, there ain't nothing there. He's terrible. He didn't do nothing against Arkansas, um, which is true. During the year, he, you know, there was parts of the early part of the year where he just wasn't doing anything. Um, and wasn't really producing and wasn't doing much, but he's kind of picked up a little bit. So I kind of want to go back to the tape and kind of see what he's been doing since that point. But Duke Ajir for, you know, from uh, Wake Forest is another guy that's kind of stuck out some too. Demarcus Walker is probably the guy I might have the biggest disagreement with people about because I've heard people say he can play five sec. I don't know what that's based on. Um, he's, he's, you know, about six two two fifty sixty ish. Uh, you know, he, he, my, my only big issue with Marcus Walker is that he, he's a, he's a, he's a swim move or nothing kind of pass rusher. And it's really annoying at times where it's just swim move, swim move, swim move, swim move, swim move. And then eventually it starts working, but. There's not a ton of extra stuff there from the games I've seen of him. But he does have a high motor, if that's what you want to call it, you know. He just keeps on bringing that swim move until it starts to work. So, you know, that's kind of his – that's just kind of the way he wins is with just continually giving the swim move over and over and over again. Um, At one price, I mean, there's not a lot I can say about him other than he's the most unique Pass structure I've ever seen, you know, in terms of body type. This means sort uh, of the Doomervillian body. Not even Doomerville. I mean, Doomerville, 
again, Dumerville had 20 pounds or more, you know, on a wine price. Like, Dumerville was packing it in, man. I mean, when he was at Louisville, uh, in terms of size wise, like a wine price, probably closer to 240-ish, you know, in, in terms of um, what he does, if that. Like I told like, again, it, Price to me looks like Darren Sproles playing edge. <laughs> I just, like, that's the best comparison I have. Is he's, he's such a, he's such a departure from what you see as a prospect that it's, jarring you know it's 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 um it's like a it's like an undersized safety lined up at edge to that extent you remember when Corey Bird led the was like one of the top sackers in America at 5'10 and a half and 214 pounds at Virginia Tech I mean and the Bills tried to turn him into a safety which did not work sure I I get that Again, I'm not saying that – I mean, I, I think Juan Price is a really good pass rusher. I think um, he's an all-or-nothing pass rusher, but guys his size usually are. Uh, and not even guys his size. Carl Lawson is another one of those all-or-nothing type pass rushers. Um, but I do wonder how the NFL is going to use him um, if they're, if they're going to do funny business and then ruin his career because of that funny business. Like, that's something I do legitimately worry about. But it is something where, like, NFL scouts going to watch a Juan Price on tape and basically go through his Rolodex and, and come up empty in terms of, like, exactly what, you know, how to how to value him, how to all that kind of stuff, I guess. So, but, but he definitely kind of sticks out a bit. But I do think it's a really deep rush linebacker class. Like, you know, again, guys like Charles Harris, of course, He's a little overrated, but he's definitely a guy that sticks out. Ken Keenum at Virginia Tech, just they throw him out there. He's been doing his thing. Oh, Bonia, uh, Wu Ching at Washington, uh, Randy Allen, you know, Ryan Anderson, of course, at Alabama, who doesn't get enough pub because of obvious reasons. Hassan Reddick, <laughs> Jimmy Gilbert, you know, Marcus Haynes, Harold Landry. Like, there's a ton of rush linebacker, you know, types in the class. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Gilbert's. Uh, I like Landry. Um, let's see. And who else I like? Um, I do like Elon Price, actually, also. You know, he's not a... You know, he's not... I mean, he's not... Uh, who are her people whip out? He's not uh, Freeney, you know, uh, by your stretch of the imagination. Not Freeney. He's not, not Doomerville. Not Doomerville, right, right, right. That's those are the two comparisons I've heard evoked more often than the others is those two names. Uh, but I agree that he's, he doesn't quite fit with either of them. 
and is probably closer to a lot of the sort of undersized pass rushers that Virginia Tech has trotted out over the years. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, Virginia Tech, uh, there was a pass rusher at, I think, Kent State. I'm not. Oh. I mean, he wasn't as good as, as a Juan Price, but um, but they always turn these guys into fullbacks, you know, what the NFL does with these guys. That is what they do with, yes, from the Bruce Millers and the, um, I know exactly who you're talking about, um, and the Nikita Whitlocks and the, um, but there's another one that, another one you're talking about. But yes, that's what they do. Funny business wise, they make them into fullbacks. Which I don't think they're going to do with Juan Price, because that's the only that's the only benefit to being compared to Doomerville. Even if you aren't really Doomerville, that at least keep their interest long enough to at least consider you at edge. You know, but you can have them believe in in um, in that. Which again, he's a good pass rusher on his own. Um, it's just uh, again the bodies I've never seen that before you know in terms of uh, it's not something you you see often you know consistently uh whatever whatever you want to say it just isn't that common at the nfl obviously yeah yeah i'm trying to think of uh I'm sort of going to find Nick Herodic's undersized pass rushers, and there's a decent number of them. But you're right, most of them have had people, I mean, if, you know, try to do something different with them, you know, once they, they got to the NFL, either an actual full-on position change or... You know, in some cases, uh, you know, they'll leave them as, like, some sort of designated pass rusher. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, just sort of funky stuff that sometimes happens with them. Uh, you know, where they get all, you know, creative in, in air quotes or whatever about what to do or how to do it with them. But, yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see. These will be some test cases, some of these guys, because you see – the you know downsizing or whatever treatment to use at so many positions to account for you know the game being more built around space and tempo and things like that the teams playing at faster tempo so yeah I'll be interested to see how that plays out for for some of these guys I think in terms of some of the you know, miniature or whatever term you want to use, uh, uh, pass rushers of the past and what will happen and how it will happen for some of these guys going forward. These years, these next few years, will be an interesting test case uh, to see what will happen, how they'll be treated, how they'll be used, uh, who will be allowed to stay in their you know, traditional role and who will be moved to some 
strange new world. Uh, I think those are all very interesting and legitimate questions. In terms of, I'm trying to think of some of the other sort of similar guys. And there have been a few, certainly. And most of them have been, I guess, even maybe a little bit bigger than price, but not a lot bigger. The guy you were, what about Kyle Wilbur? Remember him? I think he might have been one of those guys that moved to offense or moved to something. (laughs) You know, like you said, funny business uh, when he got to the league. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of some other. I mean, yeah, there's been a, a decent number of them who, you know, found some sort of role in the in the league. But you're right. Uh, there usually seems to be some consternation about uh, what to do and how to use them, and you know, deployment and. I mean, he's. So you think he's, you don't even think he's 250, is what it sounds like you're saying. I mean, I don't know where he's keeping it. I mean, you know, like, (laughs) I mean, it's not exact. I mean, he does, you know, he does have, you know, he does have thick thighs, but not like James Harrison's thick, you know. Uh, (laughs) Right. You know, he, he does have. Or even Melvin Ingram. Yeah. You know, because that's the thing about, again, with, with Premi and now uh, with Doomerville, um, is they were got, you know, Doomerville's difference is that, you know, big size, big butt, a sort of, you know, um, guy. Price isn't quite that. Like, I don't think we want Price is going to show up and he's going to be the same weight as Doomerville was coming out of uh, Louisville. Um, yeah, Doomerville was 257 when he when they weighed yeah. out the combine, if memory serves it correctly. Yeah, I mean, really thick, thick guy, you know, for for his height especially. Um, with Price, I don't quite think that's going to be. And that might even hurt him, to be honest, you know, to just show up crazy, overweight, you know, for, for his frame and everything else like that. Like basically trying to pull a, a Vic Beasley, if you will, you know. Because Beasley kind of just showed up where it's like, Vic Beasley, God, do the testing. Yeah, like I, I've never seen Vic Beasley that big, you know, as he was at the combine. (laughs) Right. Right. So yeah, there's yeah. I mean, there's some questions about that about his um. you know, how he'll survive, you know, or be used. And, I mean, he could conceivably be a quote-unquote off-the-ball linebacker. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in things like all-star game crap and things like that. Because yeah. the one thing I'll say is, um, I mean, he, he has shown some ability to uh, to to – 
to you know do some zone-ish, you know, concepts, not to a full extent of you know dropping into coverage completely um, and playing you know fairly off the line of scrimmage a lot. But he has done um, at least he has some ability to cover guys, you know, in the flats and stuff like that. You know, he's kind of shown some ability to do that. So there definitely is potential for him to be you know, a pursuit linebacker or, um, uh, you know, a 3-4 a outside linebacker, which is probably where most teams are going to, you know, look at him as for the most part. Right, right. Right. Which, yeah, I agree. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's where you're going to to see him end up as well. You know, so to me, like I said, really the only question is, yes, I mean, how he's going to be used, where he's going to be used, and obviously even what team, you know, makes the move on him. Nice if you could, once again, stay local, you know. <laughs> work out, might work out well. Now, the D-tackle class, you mentioned, obviously, the lack of, of true nose types, and they are scant. You know, there's not a bunch of them. What about the the other, um, the other ones? <laughs> the other, the other, you know. The other D-tackles. Other types of, yeah, I mean, so zeros right. and ones, hard to come well, by. What about all the rest of them? I mean, no tackle wise, there's four of them, at least what I got. Um, there are definitely guys who play nose tackle that are really three checks, but at least the guys I actually think can play nose tackle, there's there's four. Um, you know, Harrison Phillips at Stanford is one of those guys. Nate Hoff at Indiana, I think, is a, is a starting, it's a starter at, at nose tackle in the NFL. Dante Wilkins is a guy I'm on the edge with. A bit as a starting nose tackle, but he does do. He, he's a really, really smart player in terms of recognition, you know, and uh, he just doesn't always get there. So, like, he knows when it, he usually knows when a screen is is called immediately. You know, as soon as the play starts, you pretty much say, "Oh, screen pass." He just he just doesn't always get there in time to make the play because uh, of uh, not being the, the fastest guy uh, ever. You know, uh, and Paul Boyette Jr. is the furniture. You know, the big giant uh, couch you put in the middle of the field type of nose tackle types. He's that type of a, you know, big guy, thick, thick frame, you know, kind of muscle guy you put in the middle and you just kind of, you know, say, hey, you can't move him. That's one thing you can say. You can't really move him that much once if, if he actually, you know, maintains his pad level anyway. Uh, but, yeah, with the, with the regular G tackles, I mean, Jonathan Allen's probably, I think to me, Solomon Thomas and Jonathan Allen is, is a legit uh, debate to have. Um, you know, Jonathan Allen is somebody who definitely shows uh, more consistent hands technique uh, and and from that perspective does that really well. Thomas, on the other hand, is making plays everywhere around the field. You know, he's making plays away from the line of scrimmage. He's making plays in the backfield. Um, he's essentially as impactful as Jonathan Allen, 
uh, it's just he's more so because he, he's making plays everywhere around the field versus just at the line of scrimmage, which is kind of why I have Thomas a little higher than Allen. Um, but I do think that Allen, both of those guys are probably the premier cream of the crop, you know, four, three D tackle types, that, you know, that you would consider um, taking in the class. Once you leave them, you got Jalil Johnson in Iowa, who I think continues to be slept on this year so far. He's super quick, super explosive, uh, kind of reminds me of Eddie Jackson, but he actually is productive. He's, he's, I mean, I know I know you said Desmond King is the best player at Iowa on defense, which, I mean, there's a debate there, but to me, Jalil Johnson on the defensive tackle spot has been, you know, like doing – crazy things there uh, this year uh, so far. And, of course, I would say go to Michigan <laughs> Michigan game, too, because he's been making a bunch of big plays in that game. Uh, and, of course, A.J. Jefferson at Mississippi State um, is a guy that I think has some three-tech uh, potential. Uh, some people might debate about whether he's a 4-3 a D end, uh, a, a or three, four defensive, and I don't quite think he has the length for that. Um, but I, but I do see the potential as like a penetrating guy, um, uh, as a three tech. It's kind of where I see him, you know, developing into tens all smart. Of course, at Tulane is a guy that has also been very impactful. Montrevious Adams is the guy that I'm a little wishy washy on. Um, he's a three tech without a brain. He's, he reminds me a lot of the defensive tackle from Syracuse that was drafted by the Giants to a certain extent. It's he, he's a guy that, you know, flashes a lot, gets in the backfield a lot, but doesn't always get – doesn't always make the play consistently. But he has done a lot of crazy things this year. I mean, he's blocked a kick. He's, you know, had uh, a couple of sacks from the edge, like lining up at the edge um, and getting a sack against a really, really weak offensive tackle from Texas A&M. Um, I mean, there's stuff there. I mean, he's a very flashy prospect. I just don't quite think he has the the type of football IQ that I consider as like a special defensive tackle, but he does have interesting physical capabilities. Um, Ryan Glasgow from Michigan, I know he's been getting a lot of hype. Um, I do see athleticism traits that are there, but I, I don't see consistent – hand usage that's really effective and um, he just does make a ton of plays, you know, um, in terms of what they ask him to do. Same thing goes to DJ Jones at Ole Miss. I mean, DJ Jones is a guy who at the beginning of the year was making a ton of plays and then he kind of tapered off a bit and, and um, has kind of been struggling to, to he's, he's the, the thing I said was that he, he had almost sacks, almost tackles for loss. And I was thinking, Eventually, as the season goes on, he, those almost sacks are going to turn into actual sacks, and that hasn't happened yet. So um, that's kind of worrisome, at least with me. Lowell uh, Lotulele is, uh, again, a flashy guy, but that's about it. I mean, he, he doesn't – he's not a true nose tackle. He doesn't have the size for it. Um, he doesn't even really play the nose tackle position like a nose – like a true nose tackle was just in the sense that he's always trying to penetrate and, uh, you know, like, I don't know. He just, he kind of holds double teams, but he doesn't always do that consistently. So it's, he's kind of 
oh, all over the place for me in terms of the tape I've seen with him. Um, Folo Runso, Fatukasi at UConn is kind of an interesting player in terms of athleticism. He's kind of played five tech there, but he's more of a five tech in a in a four three versus a three four five tech. And he's been, you know, somewhat productive and you know, kinda shows some stuff. And the last guy I'll mention who actually does no, two guys. I mean, uh Jerron Jones is a mysterious stranger, the the ultimate mysterious stranger. Um because you don't do anything and then you have a game where you have six tackles for loss and a bunch of sacks and then nothing for the rest of the year, almost up to this point. Um, that's the definition of a mysterious stranger. But the other one is Charles Walker at Oklahoma. Um, he's a guy that in the Houston game flashed a ton. He's really athletic. He's really nimble. He moves really well for his size. He just has no idea what he's doing. Um, as, as a pass rusher, doesn't really know how to use his hands, doesn't really know, um, doesn't really have an effective assortment of pass rush moves, doesn't play with with consistent pad level to generate a really good bull rush consistently. Um, he's just one of those guys at Oklahoma that like a lot like, you know, the guy that you were a big fan of there, you know, um, last year. Um, I don't know his name, but um, he's, he's basically one of those Oklahoma players that's very flashy, but hasn't like really translated. Yeah, Tapper, yeah, exactly. Um, again, I, I think there's potential with Walker. I think he needs to stay in school. But it's a little worrisome that the years have gone on and he hasn't got a little bit better, you know, in terms of impact. Um, it hasn't really – he hasn't, like, progressed or anything else like that so far this year. But he is a freaky athlete, which is why I think that that's kind of why I've seen him ranked as high as he is in certain mocks and stuff is because he, he is a freaky athlete, but he just hasn't really been translating that in, onto into production on the field. At three four D end, um again, Thomas and Allen are guys that I, I just I'm wishy washy in terms of that because I, I don't think they quite have the length for that or the you know, like they're not like six foot five, six foot six with, you know, the sort of length that I want at the at the three four, you know, position. If it's a four three, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. I just don't quite think that they have the the size for to be a true three four D N um even though they're really impactful at what at what they do. Uh I do like Andrew Brown at Virginia though at three four D N. I think he's the guy who's a little bit taller. Um, and he's been a guy who's had some games where he's really impactful, knows how to beat double teams, um, shows pretty good aggressiveness, um, if you will. Jake uh, uh, Rapogel from Purdue is another five-tech type that I think could possibly do that. Patrick Gamble at Georgia Tech is a guy who could potentially be a, a five-tech. Nasir Jones at uh, North Carolina potential five tag Noble uh, at uh, West Virginia is another sort of um, five tag type. But there's again, like every year, there's not a ton of three, four, five tags. You know, it's just it just is what it is. Same thing with nose tackles. You know, you, you'll find more three techs now than ever before. You know, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, it's a good thing because you have lots of selections. It's a bad thing because when you actually want to run a, a true blue three tech, 
or a true blue uh, 3-4 defense, um, the tenets of it, it's hard to do that when you don't quite have the personnel to do that. You know, you start to, you start to end up like the Steelers, you know, you start to experiment with guys because you don't quite have what you need to, to do that type of a system. Um, and it kind of sucks, but I think, again, I, I think the, the defensive tackle class is a lot better than I expected coming in. Um, I think there's a lot of high end talent in terms of, you know, Solomon Thomas and Jonathan Allen. I think those two guys are really, really um, going to be really, you know, very good players. Jillo Johnson is another guy I think is going to be a very good player at the next level. Um, but there's a bit of a drop. I mean, there's a bit of a drop once you leave those guys out. So, um, you know, the, the big the big defensive tackle types people like to take. And I would say if, if you're one of those people that takes Olu Lotulele early in the first round or, you know, late first and stuff like that, I think you might be a little sad in what you get. You know, when it comes to that type of guys. And of course, I didn't mention Malik McDowell because I don't consider Malik McDowell to be a uh, interior player. I think he's much better on the edge. He's more, he's most effective on the edge. I think most of his sacks he's even got have been from the edge. Like in terms of like actually getting the quarterback on the ground has been from the edge. So um, that's just kind of where I see him. I just think he's more of an edge player than he is a interior player but um, even though some people can even though there are some people that think he's a five tech which he does have that I mean again if you're thinking about a tall defensive tackle he fits that but he just doesn't play with the type of leverage uh, and the type of balance that you want I mean it's kind of like you know people keep comparing McDowell to Buckner, and although I do think McDowell is probably a better athlete than Buckner, Buckner plays with better balance, Buckner plays with better leverage, um, and it's just not a contest between the two. You know, in terms of actual impact and finishing plays, that's something that Buckner was doing a lot more at Oregon last year than than uh, McDowell's done so far at Michigan State. So I just feel like McDowell is more of an edge player than an interior guy. Yeah, so that's interesting that McDowell, McDowell um, is, you know, like I said, a player that, that gets a lot of love in certain uh, circles, some of it based on, I guess, how he looks, you know, and that he looks like, you know, I mean, what some people think an NFL prospect should look like, you know, hey, look at his body, you know, it's very NFL-ish, you know, I think that's part of the, probably a big part of the love that he receives, I'm guessing, is is the way that he, like I said, sort of fits that mental picture that people have, that, you know, Christian yeah. Hackenberg got a lot of love for yeah, looking Hackenberg too, the way, yeah, the but I mean, you know, McDowell's McDowell tall, he's tall, he has long arms, um, He's blowing into the backfield, even though he's a he's a penetrator without a you know a, without a brain. I mean, um, it's 
it's just a whole lot of whooshing and nothing happening. You know, like it's, I just, he's, it, it's funny because he's more effective as like a bear trap, you know, defensive tackle than he is that actually, if a guy's in space, he doesn't always make the play, but if he, you know, if a guy's coming to his area and he's on a blocker, he usually makes the play more often when it comes to close, close, you know, close space, close contact, close quarters uh, type of stuff than he is in space. Which I and that's why really some people, that's why some people want to see him play, you know, four eye or or five or whatever, sort of a, you know, sort of a semi D tackle kind of role as opposed to the edge because of what you just pointed out that. You know, he seems to be more effective sometimes when things sort of run into him as opposed to when. That's true. But, I, but yeah, those types of guys aren't supposed to be manhandled by double teams. Uh, those types right. of guys are not yeah. supposed to be like finished, though. Like, I mean, I know, I know it's, I know it's trench warfare. I know there's blows back and forth. I get that. Okay, I understand, but. It's finished to like the level I saw Leonard Floyd being finished at times, you know, where his pad level so high at times that guys just get right underneath him, and it's just like, see you later, McDowell. Enjoy the enjoy the ride, you know, like it's it's just not it's not something I like to do. I I like guys who play with controlled leverage. I mean, it's you know basically stacking a guy. Is not something that he does consistently, um, and, it, and it's a problem with me. I mean, I I don't see if you're going to be a five tech and a three four, you can't just be a tall guy. You have to. That's why Malik Michelle has always been a guy that I, I I he reminds me more of you know the pass rusher at Baylor than you know he's a little better. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean he's a little better. Uh, in terms of, uh, he's obviously younger anyway, but he's still similar in terms of impact. You know, he he doesn't play a great controlled leverage. He, you know, he isn't consistently being as productive as he needs to be, and it's just it's just downhill from there. You know, it's it's just a whole thing. On top of you know conditioning, which again, people don't make a ton. Of, I don't really care about conditioning a ton. In his case, I just do because. I just have seen times where he's in a game for, you know, six, eight plays, and then he's he's out. He's exerted himself, and he has to go back to the go back to the bench um, at times. Which I don't know. I, I, it's just stuff where I kind of go, okay, all right, you know. But I didn't think you were playing that hard. Is all I'm trying to say. Like he, you know, he definitely is a guy who he's definitely a guy who has a, a relatively decent motor, but. It's not to the extent that I would think he would have to, you know, get a breather every eight plays or so. Because there's been some games where it's been like that, and I was I was just kind of like, oh, well, okay, no, um, in, in terms of um, his his impact. But but I don't know. I mean, I he's a guy that I hope goes back to school. I mean, he 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 probably won't, obviously, but I think he would benefit a lot from going back to school another year and getting better because I don't think he's, he's proven to be a, a, a elite anything really um, in terms of, you know, so far, but I do get the fact that NFL teams are going to look at that length and look at the size and, 
and go, yeah, like the Cincinnati Bengals would be a team that I would not be surprised. Yes, future Bengal, yes. Takes them in the <laughs> top ten. No. Future yeah. Bengal. <laughs> that actually makes perfect sense. Welcome to the Bengals, Malik McDowell. As we welcome Austin Carr to the Patriots. Yep. Little Miss Austin Carr. But you can't get no respect, you know. <laughs> I mean he's making he's making all the first round corners at Ohio State look kinda of funny and you know nothing no buzz. No <laughs> appreciation. You know. It's like okay. All right. Yeah. Man, it's hard. It's a hard life. <laughs> yeah, he can't get people to uh, give him the love <laughs> for whatever reason. But yes, um, you know, I'm a fan, as I've made very, very clear. And, you know, he. He's very consistent. He's a very refined route runner. He's a slightly better athlete than I think than people realize. Probably will have, yeah, he'll probably be in the mid, you know, I mean, four five four, you know, so he's not blazing fast. But my bet will be that he'll have a good three cone, a good short shuttle. Probably will test more powerfully, I think, than people might guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the biggest thing to me is he's just tough as nails, man. I mean, yeah. he's taken kill shots and walked away like nothing happened. You know, like no, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, right. no sort of concussion looking, you know, not wobbly and walking around. It's like, boom. Right. Not like, staggering hi, around. Hi. Right. Yes. He just gets, pops back up and just, you know, walks around like, I'm okay. No I'm begging fine. for a call. No, he doesn't do any of that stuff, right? Yeah. That's the thing too. That's the other thing I'm getting tired about is people begging for calls constantly. It's like I was holding, holding. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. stuff that Tack does a lot, which it you'll see it in game. You'll just see it every almost every one fourth of the time Tack will be grabbing his hands going, He was holding me, Ralph, he was holding me you know. Right. Like, well, what did you do? Truth. Punch him in the mouth? <laughs> did you, you know, kick him? <laughs> you know, what did you do in response? You know, like, that that's that, I mean that's all I Well, I mean, people know. held, you know, John Randall all the time. They held Deacon Jones all the time. I mean, name name any of the great ones, right? They all got held. They all dealt with it somehow. But yes, the yeah. incessant whining is a relatively new thing. Didn't seem to happen as much. I mean, I'm not saying a guy wouldn't occasionally, you know, but usually they waited until it was like really egregious, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, I've been being held all day, but that last one, you know, is used how, used how it would work in the old days. Like, okay, I, I, I understand you can't handle me. You're going to have to hold. I get that part. But that last hold, you know, that last one went. A little beyond, you know, what's what's you know, 
beyond the pale. But yeah, there are guys who literally almost seemingly every, you know, on every series, every few plays, somebody has to, you know, try to see if they can get a call. Right. If that part has is different. Do you have anyone else? I mean, obviously we talked about Carr. Is there anyone else that sort of stands out to you as a player that, you know, the big draft community is severely underrated who they're later going to – there'll be a market correction or whatever, and later they'll, you know, probably some revisionist history that will be about, oh, well, you know, I liked him, but, you know, I just wasn't able to – blah 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 before right um, I think Malik Turner at Illinois uh, will be one of those guys that people like he might be a, uh, a Matt Waldman special you know like <laughs> next year Matt Waldman's going to do an article on Malik Turner and then everybody's going to be like oh who's your favorite wide receiver I'm oh, Malik Turner um, you know because He's just been one of those guys that, you know, in terms of just his routes, he's been fairly above average, you know, in, in college football. Uh, he has had really good concentration catches uh, that have been impressive. And he's just a really, in general, really good, you know, wide receiver uh, in terms of what he does. He's thin, uh, which is probably the biggest thing people might knock him over. Is that, you know, he's not the biggest wide receiver ever. I mean, he doesn't have the quote-unquote traits because of, you know, reasons. Um, but I think he's going to be a guy who, you know, it may not happen this year, but it definitely happen next year that people will start to realize that, oh, this guy's really good, you know, and he plays at Illinois, but he, he's a really good player. Um, another guy well, kind of like that, yeah. I was going to say, it's funny because Illinois – you know, it's had some flavor of the month, guys. But go ahead, recently. He's on defense, but go ahead. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, he, he, but he's just one of those guys where I think it's because of the quarterback there in West Point. You know, people talk a lot about how wide receivers have bad quarterbacks. You know, oh, it's so bad, they can't produce. And here you have little Malik Turner, you know, producing, you know, with a, with West Point at quarterback. I just don't get it, guys. You know, like it's <laughs> – I mean, you know, he's had one of the one of the worst quarterbacks in college football, and he's still consistently putting up, you know, touchdowns. You know, getting touchdowns. Get he's eaten despite that. So, um, you know, whatever, whatever, guys. But yeah, he's he's kind of like that. Uh, I also like Richie James at Middle Tennessee State at wide receiver. Oh my, yeah, 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 yeah. He's uh, another one of those now guys. Speaking my language. Yeah, that's you know fast, uh, explosive, really good in terms of you know ball awareness on the sideline. Um, you know, good sort of overall uh, body control and everything else like that. He's a little, you know, in terms of routes. I mean, he he does some things well, doesn't do everything well. So like, there's like another year development there uh, to kind of get a little bit better, but. So far, he's been really impressive in terms of what he's uh, been able to do there um, as a as a slot receiver and as a battery receiver too. So he might surprise some people when he you know comes around uh, to the to uh, the draft community, if you will. Um, 
So he, he's kind of like that to, to a certain extent. I think in terms of uh, offensive linemen, um, Brian Allen is a guy that nobody talks about. Well, I mean, people know who he is, but they don't consider him to be an actual draft-eligible player, which he is in this class. <laughs> um, and he's really good. He's, he's powerful. He's, he's bigger than his brother. Uh, he right. can pull. He plays with good balance. Um, he finishes guys. Like, he has all the components that you want in a, in a, in a NFL guard um, or center. I mean, I know they – he's played – they kind of move him everywhere. Brian Allen's kind of been the guy where they have offensive line troubles at Michigan State. Brian Allen's just kind of, like, putting out fires everywhere, you know, that, that you can go. But he is literally their chess piece. You know, when they're running to the right, they want Brian Allen to, to be on that side. If they want to run to the left, they – put Brian Allen on, on that side. So um, he's he's literally what makes that offense go in terms of um, run blocking and everything else. So I think he's a really impressive player in terms of uh, in terms of those types of things. Um, I think Eric Ostell also at Charleston Southern is a guy that I hope gets a senior bowl invite. Uh, and I was really bummed out he didn't get to play against Florida State because of all the you know, reasons, you know. Um, he's one of those guys that didn't get invited because of stuff like that. Uh, you know, paying for supplies that weren't covered under the NCAA and stuff like that. But Ostell is probably one of the more technically sound offensive tackles I've seen in this class. He's been able to handle speed. I mean, he the the one game I saw of him so far this year was North Dakota State, and he dealt with a guy who was really explosive, really fast, you know, on that team. And he was able to – he looked silly one time, and after that it was over. Like, it was over. He dealt with him the entire rest of the game um, after adjusting to him. Um, but he's another one of those guys that, like Ryan Ramchek, is kind of with him in terms of um, how to deal with counters and how to uh, deal with those types of things. He's He's been playing really well um, this year. And uh, I think he's a guy that might rise a little bit from the senior bowl if he gets an invite and goes on to do more interesting things um, from there. In terms of center, um, Chase Rolier, or Roller, I, I don't know how to, I don't know what that is, but Wyoming, they have a center there um, who is really fun. Uh, he's, he's a powerful guy. He uh, moves well in space. He's fast. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that will kind of rise a little bit once people actually watch Wyoming because I don't think a lot of people watch Wyoming this year. Just to throw that out there. So Wyoming's got he, a couple of guys actually. Yeah, yeah, but um, nobody talks about him. So yeah, like you don't like the only Wyoming player that you might hear talked about is like the wide receiver there, maybe you know. He might be like the 45th, you know, Tanner Gentry might be like the 45th or 50th ranked wide receiver, which is also crazy to a certain extent. But, you know, like that's all you'll hear about Wyoming. And I think they have more than just, you know, a wide receiver um, that's there. Uh, Kyle Fuller at Baylor is another center that doesn't get much recognition. Uh I think he's probably one of their best, if not the best, offensive linemen there at Baylor so far this year. He's a guy that gets out in space and moves well in space. 
um, has been pretty consistent from them in terms of uh, those types of uh, in terms of those types of things. In terms of edge, I mean, like I, you know, I already mentioned JT Jones. You know, he's he's definitely a guy that I think might rise a little bit once people get to know him more. Uh, Tens all smart, one of those guys too. Um, Calvin Munson at San Diego State and linebacker might you know, might be a guy that gets some more love as a as an inside guy because he's you know he's a he's he's not really a hundred percent a throwback guy but he's big compared to college linebackers I'll, I'll say that much um, and he moves relatively well for a bigger um, linebacker. Um, and can play inside and shows decent power and everything else like that. So he might be a guy that gets some more recognition, you know, as and might rise a little bit because he, he's he's had a pretty decent year so far. Um, at cornerback, I mean, the cornerbacks usually the names I usually say, you know, Arian Penton at Missouri. Nobody cares about him. You know, no love for Arian Penton. Uh, Reginald Porter at Wow, Jordan Jackson got another pick. Huh. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Eric, you know him. He doesn't get a lot of recognition. Jordan White is a guy that I'm really excited to see how he develops at SMU because um, he he's he's so instinctive, so aggressive and accurate when it comes to diagnosing screens and making plays on screens. Uh, so he's he's just been a fun guy to watch so far at SMU. Um, and I think people need to watch him some more. Um, at and of course, Corn Elder. I mean, I again, when does the breakout happen? I don't know. But you know, Corn Elder might be a guy who may not get any love until a bowl game at this point. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, Corn Elder is East West that guy. That, baby, East West Yeah, practice. but I mean, he has everything you want. I mean, he's yeah. he's Big, you know, again, big frame. Um, yep. His he has almost the exact type of uh, just ball tracking ability of like Jordan Lewis, just in terms of the ability to find the ball and break up passes that normally don't get done by other cornerbacks. Um, and it's just been a struggle to have anybody care about him so far this year. And he's <laughs> playing at Miami of all places, like. You know, he's not. I've heard of that school. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of that school. So <laughs> I just don't get no. Why no love for for Mister? You know, Elder. I know he has kind of a funny name. Like, you know, oh, what's his name? Corn Elder. Ah, oh, that's not a real guy. But you know, it's <laughs> he's good. Yeah, he's a good cornerback. Yeah. And yeah. and the thing about this cornerback class is it's really close. Like, you know, my rankings of cornerbacks. In terms of just grades in general, it's tight, man. Really, really tight. In terms of uh, you know each guy to each guy, it's it's you know pretty 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 close. You know? So there's really no reason to me, anyways, why Cornelder should not be considered a top five or a top ten quarterback in this class. So it's just yep. funny that nobody's gone on into that. Yeah, so but we're gonna push Adoree Jackson up after tonight. You know. Oh yeah. Well, Adore Jackson. <laughs> Even though he's you know, the same guy he's always been. He's, he's the same guy he's always been. I mean, he's 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 kind of like that. Guy. I forgot which cornerback that was that played for Dallas, but yeah, he's just one of those Garrett guys. Where, like, 
No, 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 no. Like oh. even further oh. than that, it was it was oh. sort of an adage of you know he'll he'll give up a touchdown and he'll also make a touchdown. You know, like that sort of right, right. You know, that that's kind of been a Dory Jackson this year, where he's yes, it is. He's given up big plays and he's also made big plays. So yep. it, it's just been his sort of career there so far. Um, and there's potential there. I mean, athletic potential anyway. So he's clearly your than. classic feaster famine corner. Right. He is mm-hmm. one of those guys. So you, yeah. but we got lots you've got of to be like okay. This class. Also true, right? <laughs> Which is a funny, I mean, that's the thing is like people knocking Dory Jackson over that stuff, but I don't see Tabor, you know, shutting down dudes, you know, in Florida. Uh, I, I've yet to see that, that tape anyway um, <laughs> of him shutting down, uh, you know, his side of the field, um, you know. So I just think that's kind of interesting, you know. George Lewis, same difference, you know, in terms of Jordan Lewis is a guy that will get you some plays and also give, you know, give the team some plays, uh, you know, too at times. Um yeah, so like those are at least cornerback. Those are guys. The only new guy that I I kind of went back and saw that I actually thought was decent was Daquan Pace at uh, Eastern uh, Michigan. Uh, he was the guy that kind of stuck out a bit there that might get some more love as the prospect goes on. But he he's a guy that was kind of fun to watch um, from that kind of uh, perspective. And as far as safety goes, I mean, yeah, I already mentioned most of the guys at least in safety. So, Nigeria, I think, might be right. somebody's favorite safety out there. You know, I have yet to meet that person, but eventually he's not my favorite. But I like it. He's I just think five. that Nigeria is. I I just think Nigeria is the type of guy who he might be somebody's favorite safety ever. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but but well, we haven't met that person yet. But I'm sure, probably most likely a Nebraska fan. But that guy has to be out there. I'm just saying, you know, in terms of, you know, safety types. But, um, but yeah, I think those are guys. The only other guy I would say, and I know everybody knows who Malik Hooker is, but I'm just saying, don't be surprised if he ends up being, you know, if he if he takes Jamal Adams's place as like the top ten safety in the class. Because, like, in terms of just ball skills, plays on the ball your ball hawk, whatever you want to call it, the cliche term, he's legitimately that, you know, like there's, and he also has, uh, he, he's at least proven to me so far this year that he also has the ability to come down and, you know, stop the run and do those other sorts of things too. So, but he's just been that guy's consistently made big plays for Ohio State. But so far it's been, so far the, the Raiders have been mocked him, which I love, but, when the actual draft happens, I don't think Willie Cooker is going to be there late first is all I'm trying to say, you know, once the, once the actual draft comes and if he actually declares. So. Right. Oh, yeah, you're talking about huge people. There's one, uh, Vita Vea. Is, uh, I noticed that a lot of people started talking about him recently. He's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he is big. He is very big. There's not man. a lot else there, but he is very big. Right. Right. So, 
Oh, yeah, Leon McQuay, a Floridian and a highly rated high school player who finally starting to sort of pan out. Well, here's the thing that ends me about USC. Um, they're looking like the team I thought they would be, finally. You know, because this is the USC. Remember when I was talking about USC preseason? Yeah. This is the team I, I thought they'd be. I know. This you is, thought they were going to put it together. This is what I this. think would happen. This is, on, this is a little story about USC. You know, they came into the year. They were reading their own headlines. They were going against Alabama, which was a dumb decision to do. And to be honest, you know, they got their ass kicked at that time. I mean, it was just total, complete domination. They couldn't do nothing. You know, nothing. Offensive line couldn't help, couldn't pass protect, uh, just nothing, you know, at all could get done. Uh, And then, and there also was frustration. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, with the practice stuff and the, you know, I'm not going to say quitting during practice, but that's at least the, the kind of the definition at times. Of, but I think, you know, once they got Chad Wheeler back and once they got Sam Darnell in there, you know, instead of holding on to, you know, whatever hope they had with the, the quarterback that's been there forever, um, they start to get their rhythm. Things started to go a little bit better. And, you know, now they are where they're at right now, you know, um, but it is impressive that, you know, they've, They've gone from a team who was easily considered to be one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 at the beginning of the year to now a team who legitimately could maybe, if they keep winning, you know, contend for the Pac-12 championship possibly if you know if everything goes right. So that is, that is kind of interesting that that happened. Yeah, I mean, I think. Like I said, this is a team that struggled in terms of pass rush, and they seem to be slowly but surely finding one of those. Uh, they gave up, and they gave up a couple of big plays in this game as well, but they gave up, you know, big plays like nobody has done in business earlier, but very early in the season, particularly. And like I said, they, the team slowly but surely seemed to figure a few things out. Some of their younger guys are maybe a little less young. Than they were, I guess that helps. But uh, you know, like I said, it's 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 good to see whether you're a USC fan or not. I think it's good to see one um, Clay Helton, who's a good man and a good coach, being sort of validated um, right before our very eyes uh, that you know he does understand what he's doing. He's got a plan and it's being executed, right? We're seeing it play out. So I think that's part of the 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 story. I think some of the like I said, a lot of the sophomores and seniors are, are coming along. They're they're playing a smattering of, of seniors, but this is mostly a pretty young team. And so maybe, you know, next year, these two teams will be the best teams in the conference. Sort of un, uh, unquestioned next year. I mean, of course, Washington State will always be Washington State, so they're a threat all the time. Uh, Cal can score. And we'll see if Stanford can get, you know, a better 
level of play maybe at the quarterback position. Maybe they'll be back to where they, you know, usually are. But but all in all, yeah. you know, uh, it looks like things are – well, of course, obviously, for where we get Oregon, I mean, sort of a, a dumpster fire. But we'll have yeah. to see what happens with them. We'll have to see, you know, yeah. if that's a, a permanent state of affairs or if it's a temporary state of affairs, I guess, is the question there. The end is near Yeah, for uh, Washington. Um, yeah, I don't know. Jake Browning just kind of looked kind of funny. He's just kind of like, I can't do nothing in this game. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing, Shea Patterson's playing really well, um, gets Texas A&M. Um, and now the question becomes, should you have stuck with Chad Kelly at the beginning of the year? Mm-hmm. Instead of letting Shea Patterson take the ring, you know, take the range, if you will. But, yeah. Hmm. Well, well, this makes things interesting. What's the committee mm-hmm. going to do now? You know, I mean, well, that's what we were Washington talking about. Washington drops one. I know, I know, we were, but like, <laughs> I was expecting. I was expecting this, but yeah, I mean, that's safe. Yeah, yeah, game's over. Um, but uh, unless something crazy happens, but I mean, I I still consider Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State. I don't know who that other team is at this point. If Washington loses, it, it I don't have uh, an excuse, if you will. You know, I can't break the glass and go with the undefeated team because there isn't one at this point. Um, other than uh, in places where you know they don't have the purse strings, I guess you know Western Michigan stuff like that. But um, yeah. So, yes, the the anarchy that people were saying, you know, had sort of been held at bay for the most part has found its uh, expression, has broken loose. Mm-hmm. Of course, Dory Jackson. Yeah, and of course, Dory Jackson made a lot of money. So. Yes, he did. Tonight he made himself. I mean, there's no way he's there past, like I said, pick about 26 and possibly not even that long now. But, yes, he's he's a fun player. He always has been, right? He's always been a fun player to watch. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him going forward. So we learned some things. Uh, We did. We learned some things, (laughs) right? We learned some things. Some things were definitely learned. Uh, we learned that, you know, if you give the right coach enough time with that level of talent, eventually they will start to turn things around, and USC is starting to turn things around, clearly. You know, some fun stuff taking place there. That's interesting.
I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Was there any other teams or players you wanted to make, make, make mention of that we might have missed on or not hmm. enough thrown out there? that impressed you or right 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 um, yeah not really I think I kind of mentioned you know everybody that so far um, they kind of stuck out hey that's fine I want to make sure that we didn't leave anybody out who was deserving of uh, of mention you know there's a lot of uh, there'll be a lot of interesting conversations to be had now. Now at this point, there'll be a lot of interesting conversations to be had about lots of things. Interesting stuff, man. Uh, so, would you like to tell people what you're up to, what you've been working on, where they can, and of course they can find and follow your work? Sure. Uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, as far as stuff I'm working on, you know, I'm doing just a lot of backtrack data kind of stuff. I'm going to be digging into Old Dominion and, uh, you know, FCS teams. You know, that's kind of in most of my focus right now film-wise. You know, I got a list of guys, and I've been kind of going through the list. West Georgia is uh, one of the teams I'm going to be looking at, too, this week. And, yeah, of course, you can find most of my stuff at draftcoburn.wordpress.com, NFL Spin Zones, where some other stuff is probably drop some team-related articles, some college team-related draft articles there. And you can also follow me, you know, on Twitter, of course, at Geometrics. So. Man, I thought about picking SC. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> As you remember, I, I really agonized over that. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But, you know, win some, you lose some. You know, so, um, <laughs> right, right. I don't think there was that many people that picked USC. So. Yeah, there's a few. Um, Montel being one of them. Right, right, right. Montel first did, but. You know, so hats off to you, Montel. Well done, sir. Well done. And like I said, I certainly thought about it. I just couldn't quite work up the nerve to pull the trigger on it. But this this played out like I thought it might, uh, where the you know the the ability to shut down the running game and then to sort of force them to become more of a passing team and then to get pressure and then you know basically choke the passing uh, attack to death. Uh, like I said, a lot a lot like what I thought might happen if they could make them, you know, like I said, purely a passing team, because that's not really, I mean, they can throw the ball, but you could see the limitations to their passing game when they're forced to try to, to do it exclusively without the ability to also run. And I don't know. Like I said, uh, this will be an interesting conference next year. A very, very interesting conference next year. Uh, because I think SC is, is back. I mean, obviously, I've said this before, but I I believe it. I think that SC is indeed back. And 
you know, next year will be, you know, equally difficult, if not more difficult to deal with, you know, so that'll be something to, to watch for. Oh, let me see. We may have someone with some almost on the spot reporting. If uh, Ethan Young, I know, was at the game. Let me see. He may or may not be available. I'm going to check to see if he might. If if so, he may have some insights as well. But yes, I mean, the Louisville game, I don't, now that you've got a chance to watch any of that uh, before we close out, did you get to see Wake Forest, you know, because Wake Forest used to be good for that, uh, about once a year, wrecking somebody's year for them uh, under Jim Grove. And now I guess they've done it for the first time under the new regime. Now, you know, Louisville had always um, obviously managed to score most of the time against anybody they faced. Oh, and of course, fans of uh, Paclo in the Dark got a little Washington uh, State Cal action. And looks like Washington State scored already. Yeah, we'll see if Ethan. We might get a couple of minutes of sort of semi live from the uh, from the recently concluded action. Yeah, Gabe Marks got blasted, but has uh, put himself back in the game. One of the many, 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 many Washington State receivers.
oh, I know what I didn't ask you about uh, the, the quote-unquote other wide receiver at USC, Darius Rogers. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if you ever weighed in on him, and if so, what your opinion was. I mean, when I saw him, I mean, I pretty much had the same feeling about him as I did Juju Schuster, except that Schuster was better, you know, after the catch and, uh, you know, in terms of uh, explosiveness and stuff like that. You know, he's kind of a tall, you know, he's taller than Juju Schuster, obviously, uh, and, but, I didn't quite see anything else other there. I think there's definitely potential that he could be a, a long-term starting wide receiver because he does do certain things well. Uh, he runs kind of the basic sort of stuff in terms of routes. Um, but I just didn't see – I don't know. I just didn't really see anything in terms of, like, speed or explosiveness or um, anything like that that really stuck out when I saw him. You know, I think I saw him about three times so far this year. Yeah, he's one of those players that uh, when I think about some of the, you know, the, once again, that Z, that guy that is on the other side from your uh, your Julio Jones, your Des Bryant, um, he has a lot of the qualities that Terrence Williams at Baylor had but without all of the rawness and maybe not quite as fast in a straight line, but a, a more finished version, a more developed version. And in that he's run you know, more of a complete route tree, seems to have a better idea of how to get in and out of his breaks, even though he's a bigger guy. Uh, he doesn't take as long as a lot of the bigger guys I've seen to get in and out of his breaks. I mean, he's not super quick, but he's he's not slow in doing it either. And I guess I'll ask you about at least one more, I mean, we've talked Ross, obviously, and we've talked Adore and their little, I say little, their, their matchup, and Sidney Jones and Juju Smith-Schuster and their, their battle or whatever. But it seemed that USC's tight ends seemed to find a lot of room most of the time against the uh, linebackers and safeties at, at uh, Washington. Now, is that more like a schematic weakness in terms of how they, they they do business, or do you think that's an issue of the actual personnel they have at Washington? I think it's personnel, really. Um, I mean, they don't – I mean, the linebackers they have there are the cliche you could think of. of uh, I mean, they have Azeem Victor – you know, who is the taller of the group, um, but he isn't extremely, 
he's kind of stiffish, doesn't have the greatest flexibility, 100%. So he's not exactly the best cover guy in space. Uh, the other guy next to him uh, is the classic sort of linebacker that I really don't like in terms of a guy that is undersized but isn't powerful enough to tackle guys consistently. And it's, you know, it's like, again, it's one of those things where, like, he can cover guys in space, but he's not powerful enough to really do anything. So what's the point? Uh, he's just kind of one of those guys, um, at least on, on, in terms of their uh, uh, their group. But, I mean, there's there's kind of that. I think, but, yeah, I think it's more so the personnel than it is anything else. I mean, they they don't have – Washington doesn't exactly have a guy that can cover tight ends extremely well. Uh, you know, Baker, the safety there, mostly cover slot guys. is doesn't really cover t- uh, tight ends. So um, they don't really have guys that can match up and get tight ends very well at Washington. Hmm. I, could, I could see that. And certainly there's uh, – There's certainly reason to uh to believe that uh some of those guys that we've discussed, you know, will probably you know, end up playing well consistently at the next level. I like a lot of the, the players that's my only concern about that Washington team is the, I mean, their corners seem pretty solid. Uh, they're some of their linebackers. I mean, they have sort of those, what they call them, Jack or not Jack. Uh, what's they're looking for? Uh, yeah, I guess the Jack linebacker, whatever. I mean, Saul uh, Mooching is sort of a, you know, combo uh, hybrid. Rush, yeah, Rush linebacker. Yeah, rush linebacker, yeah. I, that's it. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I, he's not quite as good with his hands as, as Kikaha, but a better, looks like a better athlete, less stiffish, as you would say. And, uh, you know, watching a little UCLA, uh, Oregon State, and uh, take Chris McKinley again calling for the flag. But he gets it this time, so. Oh, well, there we go. See, it works. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, there's the lesson. Effective strategy that... there right now. Tech, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, and like I said, I'm watching, uh, you know, a couple of teams that enjoy filling the air with footballs. Uh, like I said, watching State and Cal, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how some of these things, like I said, uh, 
play out. Michigan barely surviving, hanging on by fingernails against Iowa. Uh, so, interesting world in which we're going to apparently about to uh, about to live. <laughs> So that's that's one of the things I think will be interesting to see how some of these. I mean, everyone gets excited about the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl for you know some some of them for good reasons. Some of them are you know things to get excited about. But as we saw with the example of um, Braxton Miller, which I call N1 mixtape syndrome, you'll see someone do all these you know, sometimes even physically impressive things and it'll be forgotten somehow that there's no way that you could do those things in a real football game or almost impossible to do those things uh, because the ball usually has to be out in a little over two seconds. And, you know, he was basically just setting up the good move, you know, at the two-second mark. Like, I haven't gotten to the good move yet. These are my, you know, preliminaries. Yeah, the whole but, Braxton Miller thing is, well, the thing is, it just kind of shows you, you know, because, again, Braxton Miller is kind of a charismatic guy, you know. You interview him, you see him on the field, he's playing well, you know, at least, you know, he looks like he's playing well. So you, it just feeds in, you know, it's like electricity, you know, like people just get good vibes off of it and they just can't help but be happy, that type of, that's all I can really say, <laughs> like, you, you sort of drop the, the critic and you kind of washes away, you know, when you go to the senior bowl for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's like, you know, with D4. Of course, D4, you know, is a legitimate guy, but the senior bowl is a big reason why he got drafted in the first round. You know, if he wasn't going to the senior bowl and, you know, going D-line drills, D-line drills, let's go, you know, like just, you know, going crazy and everything else like that at the senior bowl, I don't quite think he would have been a, um, a first-rounder. If, if it wasn't right. for that sort of sure. performance. I mean, he had, some, yeah. he had some good tape, but he clearly helped himself with his, yeah, as you said, sort of attitude and being upbeat and chirping and uh, declaring that he was a better player than Clowney and all the other good stuff that he did. You know, sort of like when McKenzie Alexander uh, was, what did he said about himself? Uh, something that, you know, really got people all excited about his total swag potential um, with his tremendously high level of confidence about himself. But yes, uh, it's interesting to see how much the most things. I mean, what is one of the good things for the athletes is that you get the ability to really show your personality and give people an idea of who you are beyond just, you know, being a, a player or things like that. You get to show, you know, what, you know, how you interact and, you know, like I said, sort of personality type and, you know, Yeah, funny. you know, and how they deal with the situation, you, you know, and because, um, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know, as I, I'm not going to say that I, I find interviews at the senior bowl to be useless. I just, I just find them to be, 
you know, when a player, when you ask a player who was the best guy you went up against and they say, I, I don't remember, they really don't remember, you know, sometimes, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a team that got, kind of goes by really fast and there's a lot of, you know, there's NFL coaches everywhere and you're just kind of freaking out. You're like, Oh my gosh, that's that guy. Oh my gosh, it's that guy. And you know, you can, you know, can kind of like whoosh by and before you know it, you're, you know, it's over. Um, and of course guys who are injured too. So that's the biggest thing too, is when you go to the senior bowl, yeah, you can always get a good idea of who's injured or not by who's, you know, still on the field, you know, once everybody's gone. Yeah, because they're kind of limping a little bit, you know. You can kind of tell um, you know, that they're kind of a bit injured. But speaking of the senior bowl, I guess they're kind of a different thing. Um, oh, that's they, right. They, uh, they're starting to drop some uh, invites. Some announcements, yeah, some invites, um, at least confirmed invites, Uh uh, San Diego State, of course, they had, uh, you know, Demonte Casey and uh, also Donnell Pumphrey mm. for, you know, obvious reasons. So he's um, getting an invite to the Senior Bowl. Um, the FCS tackle, I'm a little wishy-washy on. You know, it's Julian Davenport. Um, I've seen tape. There's, like, one thing on draft breakdown of him. But I saw a tackle at Alabama State I felt was a little, you know, better in terms of stuff. But uh, have you seen Julian Davenport, the tackle? I have. Yes, at Bucknell? Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember who – remember when there was a lot of furor over Billy um, Turner? Right, right, right. I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. He's a he's he's got better feet than Turner, and probably a little more flexible, but might even be slightly weaker. He's hmm. like many Bucknell kids. I mean, no offense to guys in the Patriot League, but you know their weight program. <laughs> it's probably not the world's most demanding. No, no. So that's the one thing I would say is he's not super powerful. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that. And that's what I saw on tape. I saw a guy who's more guard-sized anyways, I mean, based on... um. I mean, because, sure, he looks bigger than the offensive linemen that are around him, but that doesn't mean that you're <laughs> six foot six, legitimately at the FCS level. You, you know, I don't. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I don't. Know, I just, I just felt like, um, and I forgot the Alabama State tackle's name, um, but, but he looked. I mean, he kind of looked like Cam Robinson in terms of like size wise, you know, a little bit. Um, he's not, of course, as good as Cam Robinson uh, in just in terms of the run blocker, but he did – he was a kind of a tall-ish guy that could bend, um, and I felt he kind of stuck out a little bit uh, in terms of uh, – as, as sort of an FCS tackle um, in terms of that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, Syracuse – the Syracuse wide receiver. Oh, um, Edwama. Yeah, yeah. 
he he got invited as well, which I think is good. Yes. Yeah. Now, what did you think of him? Because there, he, there seem to be basically two schools of thought. The he's really great, and the meh. Um, he, he's <laughs> not much in between. Uh, I think it, he's in, in terms of uh, in terms of after the catch, he's really good in terms of after the catch. Uh, he can break tackles. Um, he's a relatively powerful player. Um, and when he, when he, when he works from that perspective, like a screen pass or a slant, he can get you some more yards after the catch in terms of those sort of situations. Where I think he gets into trouble is sometimes in terms of just, you know, when it comes to option routes, he doesn't always run his routes away from the leverage of, of cornerbacks and safeties. You know, sometimes right. he kind of runs into coverage. Yep. Um, which he's not a great leader of defense. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a big deal to some people. People don't always pick up on that, but like it, it is something where I'm like, okay, but you know, I, I think the sort of that is missing. Uh, but, but I think there's stuff there. I mean, I think in terms of, uh, I mean, he's not my, like my top wide receiver prospect fighting stretch. Um, or even in the top ten, even. But I, I do think that there's, you know, potential there. It's sort of a a yak wide receiver that you kind of develop. But that is the big question: is uh, his ability to you know, read defenses and make the right decisions uh, in terms of those types of things. But he can beat man coverage, which yeah. is always um, a plus too, because you right. don't always find wide receivers that can beat man coverage. You can do that at least. So. Right, because you don't have to do a whole lot of thinking. <laughs> you just <have> to... Exactly. <laughs> right, I agree. Um, he's one of those guys, I mean, I'm not trying to say Cordell Patterson-ish, but right. he's one, basically the simpler you can make certain things for him, the quicker you can get the ball in his hands, the better he is. That much I have noticed. Exactly. Hey, slants, wide receiver screen, a little, uh, you know, those little speed outs. Uh, little, you know, hey, drag routes even. I mean, just something where yeah. all he has to do is get going very quickly in a direction after a few steps, look for the ball, and then make and it'll stuff, look good. And then, you're right. <laughs> and then make like the senior bowl. Yes, he'll look no. great <laughs> at the senior bowl, Jim. He's going to look great at the senior bowl. <laughs> Some people who have thus far paid little to no attention are going to suddenly be singing his praises. Oh my gosh. It's like he looks better than Braxton Miller last year. Yeah. <laughs> you may hear some of that maybe, I don't know. But um <laughs> but yeah. Oh, uh Jeremy Sprinkle. Yeah, yeah. Right Which I'm happy to hear. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He might be one of those guys who does that. And of course Toby Barker, the punter. You know, because punchers are people too, right? Um, will get invited, and the Senior Bowl actually has a funny way of solving that issue because one thing that usually happens in Mobile in uh, winter time is you you get you know the wind kind of kicks up. Sometimes it's really cold, so it does kind of affect punters, you know, to a certain extent. You kind of you know figure out the guys that can kick in that type of weather, and those you know can't to a certain extent, but. Um, that's always, always found that kind of interesting in terms of uh, 
in terms of those types of uh, uh, players. Yeah, I mostly approve uh, of thus far, at least. You know, there's no Jacob Coker kind of things um, for me to rail against. But yes. In terms of, <laughs> yes, right. You, that is the proper Or you know it, yes. Mitch Leidner, DJ Beathard. <sighs> don't don't get do that, that to me, man. Don't do that to me. I'm just saying, it's going to happen. Yeah. Because they got those uh, snowbirds coming from Iowa, you know, like, where are all the Iowa players? We want to see C.J. Beathard. He's a nice young man. You know, it's going to happen. <laughs> I need to get my Mitch Leidner picks. You know, he's such a he's such a smart man. So, so smart. Such a nice young man. You know, that that's going to happen. Of course, Auburn players. I think this year, Holsey will probably get an invite. If Carl Lawson declares, he'd technically be a senior, I think, because he's a redshirt junior. So he might actually be able to get, uh, you know, an invite. And um, Alabama, the Jonathan Allen, I, I mean, Jonathan Allen probably won't go to the senior bowl, but it'd be really cool if he did, you know. It would be really cool if you did, actually. It might be back to like when Aaron Donald was there when it was like National Geographic, you know, type of, <laughs> type of stuff where you're seeing like a lion kill a you know an animal and you're like, oh my gosh, can you can you believe what we're watching right now? Like it was kind of like that. <laughs> that is a good way to put it. <laughs> yes. Wow. That. That poor wildebeest had no shot. <laughs> no chance. No chance right there. Exactly. <laughs> I hope people realize how special what we had with Aaron Donald was. I mean, because... think of that year. That's the funny thing about the Senior Bowl, man. I mean, that year you had Derek Carr, who nobody, I mean, okay, some people liked, but there was always a sense of like, yeah, he's good, but you know, we don't think he's he's that good. He's working with the wide receivers after the practice. Oh, look, he's sucking up to the scout, you know, by doing that. Like there was literally people saying that. I'm like, well, that, that's kind of Derek Carr, you know, and exactly and some of those is. some of those wide receivers were, you know, I think, uh, and some of those wide receivers are guys that he actually knew, you know that we're working with after. So he's just kind of helping them out a bit, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you had Derek Carr, you had Aaron Donald, obviously, you know, at that, uh, at that senior bowl. Um, you, you also had Zach Martin too, you know, gone to have a, a really big, uh, career. And, uh, you know, the guard from Nevada too. Um, Antonio. Yeah, Betonio, yeah, he was there as well. So, I mean, you know, people, every year going to the senior bowl, people are like, you know, none of these guys can be first-rounders, man, and then they end up being first-rounders. Uh, it happens every year, man. Like, some, some people at the senior bowl are going to be first-rounders, whether you like it or not. And most of them, it's because they're good players, you know. Um, but I just think it's kind of surprising when people go in there and just like, oh, none of these guys are going to be first-rounders, and they end up being first-rounders, you know. 
because <laughs> it's just kind of it's what it is. You get to the senior bowl, you get more opportunities, you know, to show off the coaches. And if you perform well, you know, you go, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of draft stock itself. Right. Somebody falls in love every year. You know, it happens every year. That's not really a big news story. You don't, I guess the fun thing is to figure out who it might be, what guys might, you know, go from being an afterthought to, you know, somebody has to have it. You know, I got to have this kid. It'll be interesting to see who, who the other senior quarterbacks will be. That'll be interesting. Right. Because I know you don't like the for, list I said, but no, those are the types not. of guys they would invite. <laughs> I mean, they would invite C.J. Beathard. They would invite Mitch Leidner. Um, they would probably invite Nick Mullins if they're smart because Southern Miss is pretty close there, and there's lots of Southern Miss fans that would show up. I'd love to see Mullins or or uh, uh, Dana uh, Dane Evans or heck even Davis Webb. I, I would be, I would accept Davis Webb. Right, right. Chad Kelly's going to get invited because he's. You know, Chad Kelly, he's going to try to do what Aaron Murray did. You know, Aaron Murray that year was injured, and he showed up, and people gave him props for coming despite the fact that he was injured, you know. Um, you know, basically did interviews and that sort of stuff, and people kind of praised that. So if Chad Kelly was smart, he would do the same thing. Although, does he really want to be interviewed by the media? That's that's the other question, Yeah. Sort of the Connor yes. Cookness of it all, you know. <laughs> Connor Cook didn't go to the senior goal. Yes, we all remember uh, that. Reasons, you know, and then the NFL was like, you know, I don't know. I just love the sort of reaction because the A.J. McCarron thing was, I think, was the funnest thing when they finally announced, A.J. McCarron will not be going to the Super Bowl. The, the, the general body language of scouts is just kind of funny. It was like, you think you're be- it was almost like you think you're better than me like that was kind of the attitude <laughs> you know you think you're beneath the senior bowl age of your yeah yeah river craycraft um future patriot well <laughs> just uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh yeah he's he makes some crazy catches, man. Um, he's, he's got we really can, we can. Yep, he can track and catch footballs, man. Yeah, so that's the Patriots' new uh, receiving core, you know, River Craycraft, Austin Carr, and then Ryan Switzer for good measure. Ryan Switzer, Chad Hans. <laughs> the all-Patriots uh, Patriots draft board wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're kind of joking, but one of those guys at least would end up being a Patriot, despite the fact that we're kind of joking. But yeah, I, I do. Well, like that's their type. I mean, they either that's what I mean with the Patriots. They they either go with the guy who had some crazy athletic testing for some reason, and it's never consistent either. Like. It's usually a guy who tests really well in terms of one athletic metric, usually, or, or a bunch sometimes. Right. right. 
three cone or they ran really fast or they had a really good vertical and broad jump. Um, and then other than that, they, of course, they go after the top gun wide receivers, guys we just mentioned, because Austin Carr, you could see him in a top gun volleyball game. I could see him there. You know, uh, yep. Ryan Switzer, I could see him oh, there too. Definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Chad Hansen uh, could easily Chad Hansen, be there. Yeah. Craycraft, yes. Right. I'm just shocked they missed out on getting Jordy Nelson. But yes, they uh they certainly Well, you don't want to speak too soon because Jordy Nelson might be cut by the Packers, maybe. And I'll tell you the first team he's gonna go to the Patriots. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to get cut, but there definitely is a sense around the Packers that you know, that they're kinda like Man, if only we had good or healthy wide receivers is kind of what it is. You know, like, wow, if only we had healthy wide receivers, what what would things be like for Aaron Rodgers? Well, I guess that's something you can wonder. But (laughs) I, 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 wow. I think that would be exceedingly foolhardy. He might have get away, but okay, right, whatever. Uh, But yes, I mean, you know, they did have a spate of injuries at the position and even more at running back. I mean, that's where they got truly ravaged by injury. Starks and uh, whatever size Eddie has would have been, uh, he has not been healthy. I mean, they, they were pressing Scotty Montgomery into action at running back with his number 88 jersey, which, you know, made you wonder, what year am I watching here on the NFL? But yes, uh, yeah, they 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 did someone get hit pretty hard by injury. Oh, and Gerald Everett got a senior bowl invite for obvious reasons because awesome. he played in the stadium, you know, but, before. But also, he's he's kind of fun. Oh yeah, he's a fast, you know, okay. pocket tight end. Right. Yeah. Prospect, um, who has gotten better every week so far. I mean, the very first game of the year, he looked a little lost and stuff like that, but he kind of he's picked it up. You know, he's gotten more consistent in terms of uh, what he can do um, as kind of a slot receiver with you know speed, which is why I think he might run the fastest forty tight end wise at the combine. At least, I think he might be that guy that you know, has the fastest 40 at the combine in terms of tight end prospect. Okay, so Iowa did it. (laughs) All right, then. Wow. Well, take that, Michigan. (laughs) Oh. So this was the day of anarchy. This was the day. So people were wondering, oh, it looks like this is going to be kind of a quiet normal. Nope, not so quiet, not so normal. Oh, again, remember the narrative going into the week? There's just no good games. I mean, that was just, a crazy narrative that this is going to be yeah. boring. <laughs> boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Right. Yeah. 
Clemson lost. Michigan lost. Washington lost. Well, obviously, Ohio State's going to go up in the rankings. Um, yeah, Ohio State's clearly in it. <laughs> yep, in it to win it. You know, as long as they don't lose to Michigan. So that would, you know, <laughs> right. hurt a lot. Yes. Yes, it would. So, good news for Louisville. And uh, is anybody else? <laughs> would benefit? Uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. Good news for Louisville. I guess. Uh, I don't think there's anybody else. I don't think there's anybody else who benefits from it. That's probably about it. Yeah, Lou is probably the only thing that benefits from that, yeah. Yeah. Because Ohio State will probably leapfrog Michigan only because, you know, Michigan lost to Iowa, Ohio State lost to Wisconsin. Well, not Wisconsin, uh, Penn State. So Penn State is technically better than Iowa, rankings-wise at least. So that would be more of a quality loss than losing to Iowa would be. So I suppose, yeah. And for those who are wondering what's going on with Nevada and – New Mexico, Nevada's up 14-3, to but New Mexico is in field goal position and has run out their field goal kicker. So they might be narrowing it to a one score if you count touchdowns to two-point areas. Yeah, so it's now 14-6. For those who are wondering. And Bob Davey, excited, and just realized for the first time that he bears some resemblance to Joe Biden. I uh, hadn't noticed that previously. For those who are wondering what political figure that uh, Bob Davey most resembles, and people who are fans of Chad Hansen, he is back in action for the first time in four games, I think. Oh, yeah, I was wondering about that because I, I didn't hear any, you know, draft Twitter eruptions, if you will, in a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened to Chad Hansen. Game yeah, third, but he's back. You know, so former Idaho State Bengal, uh, who's made his way to Cal and, uh, you know, as you said before, future Patriot. But uh, he's not quite as refined a runner as Austin Carr, but he has stupid body control. Uh, oh, yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, I mean he's, just, he's more powerful. He's probably going to test better as an athlete. Right. Um, you know, sure. all that kind of stuff. But there's just not a ton there in terms of deceptiveness and you know, everything else you think of as a Right. Yeah. And some of that's if gonna be offense. Us, but if you can somehow combine the two, then you yeah. would actually have that, Jordan. Then you have something, yeah. But since each of them only has half of what it takes to make up Jordy Nelson, uh, 
one of them will probably go somewhere in the late third, early fourth. The other one will probably go, you know, even another round, maybe a round and a half later than that. But I think they'll both find a way to, to hang around for a while. But yes, it's interesting to see how some of these things are, are shaping out, as we just said. Uh, so this was the week, man. Uh, so those who are wondering, what, what will be the week that turns everything on its head? It was this week. Now, now we know. The world burns. It's <laughs> a week. And it's fitting, you know, considering after the election. But, yeah. You know, it the yeah, week the world right. burns. Yeah. <laughs> right. Good point. So we now have learned some things. <laughs> I thought we'd learn some yeah. things, but now we really I'm learned. We learned things. more things. Now we really <laughs> all in the matter of you know, ten minutes, <laughs> minutes. Yes, 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 we did. Um, so yes, we definitely learned that uh, Bobby Petrino is feeling much better about everything. Uh, that that we learned, feeling better about everything. Uh, we learned that USC may still somehow find its way into the Rose Bowl, which I think would have qualified as something that people would have considered highly unlikely not all that long ago. But yeah, they definitely look like one of the better teams in, in in their conference now. I mean, they might be the best team in the conference now. But, uh, you know, which was, again, as I said, pre- in the preseason, I, I kind of thought they might be, but then they quickly, you know, sort of disabused me of that thought process. And then now, like, oh, you know, once again, oh, here's the team that I thought would be here pretty much the whole – I thought they would really throw a scare into Alabama and be like the team that we're seeing tonight. That, that the team that showed up tonight would have thrown a scare in Alabama. You know, it would have been a compelling and interesting game. Uh, unlike, you know, the game that they played against Alabama. So with all of this, Alabama, to some extent, looks even more like it's, you know, above it all, high atop its lonely mountain peak looking down on the, you know, scrambling for crumbs and, uh, you know, all the things that are going on, you know, sort of at this level down here, you know, with Alabama up there. And so, like I said, it seems like even more so now. Like there's this, the gap that, you know, the separation seems to have grown. If you slaughter all your enemies, you start to get a reputation, you know. So there's, there's, I mean, that's the only thing Alabama has going for it is, you know, whenever Alabama's on that schedule, it's to the point where it can psych some guys out, man. Like we play Alabama this week, man. Like you know, it's it's <laughs> like spooky, you know. How do what do we do? You know, it's, yeah. You know, but and, and sure, Alabama's had some games where, you know, Ole Miss is one of those games where Ole Miss almost had them. You know, almost yep. had them is what it's been this year um, in terms of Alabama. But 
for the most part, as they just keep this up, take down Auburn, which is a question. But if they do, then, yeah, they pretty smooth sailing for the most part you know, into the national championship. So. Yes, yes. It, like I said, uh, I'm trying to think of – so the only other, I mean, the Apple Cup obviously is now a little less <laughs> pivotal uh, than it was a little just just you know hour or so ago. Uh, the Iron Bowl, I mean, not to say that Alabama can you know afford to lose it, but kind of sort of can uh, in that I don't see any way they fall below number four. I mean, Alabama would need to lose two games, basically, uh, to to not be in, and I don't see that being in the cards. So yes, uh, I guess uh, we we learned, like I said, we learned quite a bit, uh, very very quickly, very very quickly, and it's definitely things that we learned somewhat different. Some of the things are things that we learned differently from how I think we thought we might have learned things today. I guess is a good way to put it. Some of the things we learned are different from the things I think we thought we would learn. Fascinating stuff, man. Um, let me see. What other sort of things can we say in... Uh, oh, uh, there have been some very meaningful FCS games as well. Uh, some FCS conference championships were decided today. And... I'm going to talk tomorrow about what I think will be the playoff, not tomorrow, I mean next week, uh, what I think will be the playoff team. I think the CAA will put probably three, at least two teams in the playoffs, and possibly three. Uh, obviously, the conference champ from uh, Missouri Valley and probably one at-large team. I think the Big Sky will probably only have one team. The Big South will probably have one. The Southland might have two. And I think this might be a year that maybe a Pioneer League team might make it. We might have one from the Patriot. Uh, They sometimes get, you know, completely left out, but I think uh, of course, Ohio Valley will have at least one, and I think probably two Ohio Valley teams will make it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly how it all plays out. But there's a lot of really good football being played in the CAA recently. Uh, I don't, I know you're still sort of playing catch up, but man, I mean, JMU looks really good. Richmond has some talent, has probably two, maybe three NFL type guys on their team. Uh, sort of business that usual as as usual at some of the, the traditional powerhouse programs. Sam Houston, like I said, has NFL guys. Even of Austin, though they as a team aren't great. They've got at least one or two guys that I think will play at the next level. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, right. The SWAC because of their whole. Uh, uh, you know, attention to the classics, you know, the money-making, 
uh, postseason games that they play, and now they have a SWAC championship game, as well as the Bayou Classic, don't actually participate in the uh, playoffs, which has always been something of an annoyance for me, but Jackson State and Southern U and Alabama A&M and Alabama State all have at least one legitimate pro prospect. Some of them have multiples. Uh, Lenard Tillery, I think, is one of the better running backs that you know no one talks about. Uh, and as you mentioned, there's a couple of offensive linemen, which is one of those things that I often find is something of a struggle. Uh, not so much because the guys lack talent, but once again, just getting back to what we said about sort of conditioning and nutrition and things like that, the, the body fat percentages are frankly a little higher than ideal sometimes because the big guys are. I mean, they're big, but their 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 body composition isn't quite what it would be if they were at a place where nutrition and conditioning was a little more rigorous and tightly controlled. But still, there's some guys that that I like. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think who else to mention. Um, sadly, Kane Harrington got hurt. That's a guy that I really really liked and was going to have a huge year, was off to a great start, and like I said, unfortunately, uh, got hurt. But they're still good. Um, I mean, Jake Winky and uh, there's a, and he's only a junior, so but he's been great. Cooper Cup is a guy that I think most people are most familiar with. There's this kid named Brian Brown at Richmond who... I mean, Anthony Warm and Brian Brown at, at Richmond are guys that have impressed me as much or more than Cooper Cup. They don't get talked about as much, but I think they're just as good. And Brown is faster. Uh, Warham's kind of a big-bodied guy who's, you know, smooth but not super fast. Brown can flat-out run and makes some great catches, but he's fast. Uh, Torn Mixon at Hampton is another kid sort of raw, but has real speed, like legitimate low 4-4 speed. Uh, my old alma mater has produced one guy that I like. They have a corner, Sandy. Uh, but they have a slot corner type who, you know, I don't think he'd be drafted. He's not a guy who, who I would have a draftable rate on. He's a priority and draft free agent type who could stick in the right situation. So, yeah, I mean, there's some guys. And I haven't, like you, I mean, I, I, I start on the FCS stuff a little earlier, but I still have probably six backlog FCS game, FCS games that I need to go through as I'm sort of finalizing my position rankings at the FCS level and things like that. And I've been checking out some of your, your draft Coburn stuff. Uh, my only, I'm totally a complaint. The only thing I wish is some of the things were sortable. But other than that, <laughs> you know, sort of like I could click certain things and stack up things certain ways. But other than that, you know, uh, very informative. Uh, if people who haven't checked your stuff out, they I would like, strongly urge them to do so. You're missing out. And you definitely have a different set of criteria than you may find on 
you know, some of the other outlets out there. So you're able to, to get a slightly different perspective on players. And like I said, your approach, since it does, I mean, at this point, you know, you don't have a lot of the, the numbers that you would have later in the process, but it's clear for those who like to yell at people, things like just watch the tape, it's clear that you watch a lot more tape than a lot of the just watch the tape guys. I watch more tape than you. I mainly did it because I wanted to, to not only have the claim that I, I do better analytics than, than you, but I also do much more tape than you. Um, <laughs> which you can come back and go, well, just because you watch the tape doesn't mean you know how to watch the tape. I'm like, well, whatever, man. But I did watch more tape than you. So, just, you know, but yeah, that's just a common. Um, common gripe with, with data people is, oh, I just watched the tape. Well, I did watch the tape. Well, prove it. Well, here you go. Here's the proof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you just make this, you just made this stuff up. Right. I just did over, you know, 1,100 plus pages worth of BS. Like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> you know, like, sure. <laughs> Sure. I just went to the trouble of doing that just for whatever reason. I'm not, I'm to not frustrate really. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's... Wow. Well, yes, that's the world in which we live. But yes, there's a lot of... Uh, whew, there's a lot. That's what there is. There's a lot. That's what there is. There's a lot. But yeah, the fun, uh, like I said, to some extent, it's just begun as we've just has just been proven by what we've seen, and I, I think it's not completely over. Uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, how some of these we haven't even got to the quote unquote rivalry week, right? Rivalry week, you know, UCLA USC, and you know, the aforementioned Apple Cup and Oregon Oregon State and the Territorial Cup, I think is what they call that, or no, it's sorry, it's Arizona, Arizona State as the, the territorial cup, but the border war and all that good stuff. Pitt uh, and Penn State, I don't, they don't play each other, but I think I think they're trying to get back to doing that. But that used to be one of the games that, oh my gosh, when I was a kid, and you know it would be, you know Johnny Majors or later Jackie Sherrill's Pitt teams versus Paterno's Penn State teams. And they would be just chock-a-block with all-American running backs and all-American linemen. And, oh, my gosh, those games. And, of course, uh, you know, Michigan-Ohio State. Whew. So, but, yeah, this is supposed to be the low. You know, this is supposed to be the – this week was supposed to be the low. So, you know, the best laid plans, as they say. Interesting to see how it all plays out sometimes with when you least expect it, I guess. So any do you have any other final, final, final thoughts uh, about this week and you know, what I said about I sort of my theme going into this year was the gap is narrowing. Once again I should have exempted uh Alabama, <laughs> but other than Alabama, 
it seems to me like the gap is narrowing, except Alabama. But did you have any other final thoughts or any other things that, that sort of overarching theme that stuck with you well, based on what we've seen? I mean, the, the, the overarching themes from the season, from the players that I've seen, is linebackers is becoming a position that is infuriating to a certain extent in terms of what it's becoming. Um, it's just kind of, you know, it's frustrating. It's also infuriating. It's just sort of a, it's just a whole thing. Um, obviously, you know, the Mount West conference is back. And I was pretty down on the yes. Mount West conference, you know, uh, you know, I was probably his biggest critic, you know, uh, once Derek Carr left and everything else, I, I, I was like, man, these guys are just not very good this year. And so far, uh, they've become that sort of lower power, you know, like the teams that aren't in the Power Five conferences, they've become kind of one of the better, you know, ones out of that group. Um, you know, that kind of even rivals the AAC in terms of like top to bottom to a certain extent. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a little bit better than it was. The Sun Belt is still a mess. I mean, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with the Sun Belt. It's it's still going to morph and stuff. There's going to be some teams that leave it after this year, too. Uh, but that's going to be kind of weird how that happens. Same thing with Conference USA. There's going to be a couple teams that, that are going to try to move to another conference and see what happens. Um, that's really about it. The biggest takeaway from this year is just how much the linebacker position has become just non – I mean, there's still linebackers that do things that are effective, but I just think there's – you know, again, you usually say safety is a really hard position to play, which it is, but, you know, and cornerback is as well, but linebacker is also becoming that. It's becoming almost one of the hardest positions um, to, to play in the NFL because it's not exactly about big plays. It's just about – bleeding you, you know, you know, tiny little cuts, you know, death by a thousand cuts, you know, and it's at the linebacker position, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, it hurts, you know, just like we talked about with the tight ends at USC, you know, kind of gashing Washington a bit, you know, and et cetera, like that's, that's a real weakness on a lot of teams. And it's, it's, a, it's a yeah. weakness that doesn't have an easy answer because of the types of athletes that, college football seems to be putting there at that linebacker position. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, my overarching themes are somewhat similar. I guess it's two things. That One, coaching matters, people. Coaching really, 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 really matters in college football. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that the coaches are better in college than in the NFL, but the things they can – guys tend to grow more between 18 and 21 or 18 and 22 than they do between 22 and 25 or whatever in the next in the first few years in the league. There are exceptions to the rule, but those guys are exceptions. They're exceptional. You, you do some guys make a big giant leap, but so yes, it happens. But I mean, betting on it, counting on it doesn't seem to be a percentage play to me. Most guys are going to make their greatest improvement while they're collegians. So rushing guys out the door into the NFL 
hoping that they'll develop more at the next level just seems to me to be a, a, a loser's game, you know. So uh, that I was reminded of that. And uh, it was clearer and clearer and clearer to me as I watched this particular week play out uh, that, yeah, I mean, the 85 scholarship limit, all kinds of things, like I said, have, have helped to make it in a way that, I mean, we have a super team still, right? The super team is not completely gone, but there was a time there'd be super teams, you know, Alabama and Penn State, USC and whatever. They'd all be awesome at the same time. They'd all be unstoppable juggernauts simultaneously, you know, that was unstoppable so they ran into each other, you know, Michigan and Ohio State. And, I mean, yes, I mean, some of that sort of come back. Michigan and Ohio State are, are both very good, but they're not quite, you know, the teams that I'm thinking of of the 70s and 80s, and USG is, you know, back each, but they're not, you know, all the way back. They're not 60s, 70s, you know, back, or even, you know, quite of the teams, obviously, of the Carroll era, but some of the traditional powers are, that had been away are, are returning, but still, like I said, the true super teams, with the exception of Alabama, seem to be gone, and like I said, the gap is narrowing. Uh, Jim, as always, I thank you for your time, your, your talents, and your attention is always a pleasure. And once again, before I forget, I want to thank all of my brothers and sisters in arms, all those who have served, will serve, and uh, especially those that have given all uh, the last full measure for freedom here. Uh, we thank you and remember you. And, and of course, uh, God will bless you and hopefully all those that were in your lives. Thank you once again. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.